Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brought to you by Sumner One. everyone and welcome to the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis where it's 7 o'clock your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Brooke Grimsley and Dan McLaughlin. I'm Randy Carricker and it is great to have you with us unless you happen to be a 72 year old football coach this morning. <laughs> Randy I was fully expecting to see you dancing around when I walked in oh, here no, this morning. Dance. Why, why would you why would I be dancing? Because of your, I guess I should say, love for Bill Belichick? Love slash hate? Look, I, I don't have any disdain for Bill Belichick. I have disdain for the people that think he's great. Mm. Uh, just look at some facts, please. That's Bill Belichick and the Patriots uh, mutually agreed to part ways this morning. He does that hours after Nick Saban announced his retirement at the University of Alabama and uh, a day after Pete Carroll agreed to be reassigned within the Seattle Seahawks organization. So three 72-year-old coaches within the space of 20 hours are no longer going to be on the sidelines for their teams for various reasons. But the sense that I get, tell me if you two disagree with this, is that all three, maybe not Saban as much, but all three really enjoyed coaching and probably would have preferred if the circumstances were right to keep doing it. Isn't it a reminder that nothing lasts forever? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing lasts forever. Uh, the one thing that I think with all three of these guys at the age of 72, they're leaving on their own terms for the most part. Now, mm-hmm. Pete Carroll wanted to coach, but he stays in the organization. Nick Saban steps away. And we'll find out at Bill with Bill Belichick exactly what happened. There's going to be a press conference with he and Robert Kraft at noon East Coast time. So we'll find out more as we go along. Um, you think this will be a stressful day for Ruffin? If so, how does he alleviate it? It might be uh, a situation where maybe we just talk about something else. Because I know where you're going with this, and I'm not touching it. Maybe I just did. Oh, I didn't mean to do that either. <laughs> Randy just is trying to walk you right well, that's into that. that time he of year. Dang it, he did it to me. <laughs> that's the way it goes. But so, this is just absolutely crazy. End of an era for not only college football with Nick Saban, but now just football in general to have these legendary coaches. These are the coaches that, of course, you know all the names growing up of the coaches past, but for me personally, I'm sure Rock feels the same way. For my generation, this is the coaches that I got to see in action. This is all that I've ever known, and to have all this happen within a, essentially a 24-hour span, it's a lot to just wrap your head around. There's a couple of great things about Belichick, and you got to give him credit for this. He gets on a plane to New Orleans with Ernie Adams to go to Super Bowl 36. Ernie Adams was his assistant, a guy that Art Modell, the Browns owner, once offered $10,000 to anybody in the organization. The owner of the team offered $10,000 to anybody in the organization that could tell him what Ernie Adams did, and nobody ever got the ten grand. And Ernie Adams, by the way, no coincidence, here just retired a couple of years ago so that might have contributed to the demise of Bill Belichick but they get on the plane to New Orleans and Ernie Adams says we can't let 28 Marshall Falk beat us and we have to hit him and hold him at every turn so they did Marshall Falk was never allowed to be Marshall Falk in that game because every time he tried to come out of the backfield to catch a pass they held him 
And the Patriots, to their credit, also held, held they, they, there was a pass interference play on the very first play of the game. And uh, it wasn't called. And what Belichick had told his team, his defense, before the game started, he said, these officials don't want a four-hour Super Bowl. It's the worst thing that they could ever have. So you just keep doing what you're doing and hold and uh, hit and do what you're doing. And until they start calling it, keep it up. And that's what they did. And that's why the Rams weren't able. And they did still pass for 367 yards, but they weren't able to be themselves. Hell, uh, Isaac Bruce suffers broken ribs on the first play of the game, too, right. uh, because he was hit illegally. The ball wasn't thrown to him, and he was hit illegally. So I, I guess you can make a case that Bill Belichick has coached the greatest offensive player in Tom Brady, the greatest defensive player in Lawrence Taylor, mm-hmm. and maybe the greatest special teams player in the history of football, too. So the resume, 24 seasons, nine Super Bowls, six Super Bowl titles, 266-120 regular season and 30-12 and 12 in the postseason. I think, though, one of the things that he'll have to answer is, what were you with or without Tom Brady? And I think it's yeah. a legitimate question. Well, in his career, uh, regular season with Tom Brady, 20 years, 219 wins, 64 losses, uh, including playoffs. It went to the playoffs in 17 out of 20 years with Brady as a starter, and they were 30-11 and 11 in the playoffs. Without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick was had nine years as a head coach in the NFL. His record was eighty-three and a hundred. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's a legitimate yep. question. It in, is. in those nine yes. years, they went to the playoffs two times and won one playoff game. They were uh, one and two. With Tom Brady as his starting quarterback, Bill Belichick's winning percentage was seven sixty-eight, which would blow everybody away in the history of the sport. Without Tom Brady, his winning percentage with a record of 83 and 100 was 453. There are a lot of coaches that have better than a 453 winning percentage without Tom Brady as their quarterback, including our beloved Jeff Fisher, who was 512. <laughs> but I can give you Ron Rivera just got fired as a coach of the Washington Commanders, 498 career winning percentage. Never had Tom Brady as his quarterback. Jack Del Rio, 497 career winning percentage. Never had Tom Brady as his quarterback. Uh, my favorite, and Dan, I mentioned this to you earlier, Norv Turner. Norv Turner, the much maligned Norv Turner, uh, had a 483 career winning percentage in 15 years without Tom Brady as his quarterback. Uh, Belichick, 453. So the, the results are in. 83 and 100 is not a small sample size. Uh, without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick was well below average, and most coaches wouldn't last nine years with that winning percentage. And we might add, I will add, that Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different non-Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And not to kick a man when he's down, because obviously this is huge news mm-hmm. that's happening today, and you're talking about that record, which facts. I think is something no that is definitely going to be brought up. But we already got a text in from the 618, and this is something that I feel like will also be discussed a lot when you're talking about his legacy, is people saying he cheated for some of those. How much three. do you put some of that, the scandals involved with his coaching legacy? A lot of people in... Pro football, including people from the St. Louis Rams, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Carolina Panthers, believe that there was untoward activity in the Super Bowls that they played. And for them, in the league, this isn't just me talking, they believe that those first three Super Bowls are are tainted. Until Spygate was outed in 2007, a lot of people around the league believe that uh, they were cheated out of, especially Carolina and St. Louis, cheated out of Super Bowls. You now have seven openings in the National Football League into Brooks Point, kind of a changing of the guard. Pete Carroll, Arthur Smith in Atlanta, Josh McDaniels in Vegas, Frank Reich in Carolina. 
Brandon Staley with the Chargers. Mike Vrabel with Tennessee could be a favorite to get the job in New England. Now Bill Belichick is out. I'll throw a couple other names out there, too. A new era in football with Pete Carroll out, Bill Belichick out. But what about the futures of Mike Tomlin and Andy Reid? That's been talked about as well. Mike Tomlin is only like 51 years old. It's unbelievable. Isn't it, though? Yeah. So and he's never had a losing and, season. And, and, and Harbaugh, too, yeah. by the way. And Harbaugh has been around for a long That's time. That's another one. John Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. And he wants to keep coaching. The other point that we need to make is that Nick Saban retired yesterday. And I don't think that you can question whether or not he's the greatest of all time. He, in the era in which he coached, dominated. And yes, Bear Bryant did similar things at Alabama, but because of the level of competition and because of what he brought in terms of, at one point, half of the SEC head coaches were former Saban coordinators. For me, Saban, without question, is the greatest to ever walk the sidelines in college football. 100%. I think you're right. I think yeah. you're right. No, he, he really is. And that's that's something that you can't take away from him as well. When you're talking about, too, I think another part of his legacy is that coaching tree, that mm-hmm. coaching tree that he has, which is also a big talker for who is going to take over now after Nick Saban. Because those are obviously yeah. huge shoes to fill. Do you look at some of his past coaching tree that is out there, say, Elaine Kiffin? Maybe. I would think so. Possibly. My first call would be to Dabo. And I don't know if Dabo's going to be very good. You know, Dabo doesn't like to take transfers. I don't know how great he's going to be in this environment. And I wonder if that's why Nick Saban walked away. Now, he is 72, but the changing of the college football landscape of the transfer portal, uh, the fact that you have NIL, and he just said, you know what the hell with it? I don't need to deal with this anymore. I just don't need to deal with it. I mean, you look at where they were. Remember when they had the the four... Matthew will remember this. The four running backs in their room were Henry, Kamara, Ingram, and somebody else. They had four. And good, uh, Josh Najee Harris. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's it. Najee. Najee. Yeah, that's Ingram right. would have been gone. Yeah, it was Josh Jacobs Najee, and Najee yeah. Harris. Yeah. So you had that group. He was able to recruit those guys. Didn't have anybody like that over the last couple of years. And then the four receivers over the last couple of years, it was Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Jalen Wadley had all of those at one time yeah. in Alabama. And you just, with NIL, can't recruit players that aren't going to be able to play on a regular basis anymore. No. Is there any one of these moves, as we're talking about Nick Saban retiring, and then you have Pete Carroll changing there in his position, and then you have Bill Belichick, any one of these moves that surprised you the most? Saban to me yesterday when he decided to walk away with the fact that he's got such a a tremendous team coming back he would be in the mix for a national championship last season next year Milrow is developing as a QB what the strides that he made were incredible uh, this this past year when you look at the Texas game to what he looked like in the college football playoff you know they would be in the, the the thick of this thing however the other part we didn't mention is going to a 12 college football playoff 12 team playoff and if he just thought you know the chances are going to be tougher with that i there's a few things that i thought about with him the to me the most impressive thing that he did was at lsu Mm. when he won a national title at lsu and that was a graveyard at times Mm -hmm. for coaches and he did that and they still have the impact that he made that exists today because they've won national championships since then the other part guys 
He had 49 first-round picks. Incredible. 49 first-round picks, guys that went to the National Football League. And that, to me, is simply amazing. It is. And to your point, too, I think this was a surprise for everybody with Nick Saban because I didn't know if you saw the reports as well that he was still interviewing coaches within the past 24 hours. So this was the decision that I'm sure that he has been mulling over. Do you think that at times this season he looked like he was going to make this decision? And was thinking about it. I thought, I said this to Randy before we got on the air, I thought he looked calmer this year than I've ever seen him. Mm -hmm. It looked like Mm -hmm. maybe he was enjoying the ride a little bit more. Not to say he wasn't intense. Yes. And we're not there, and it's just us watching on television. But didn't he seem to be a little bit calmer when you watched him? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 He used to jump up and down and stuff like that. And by the way, I, I believe after the Rose Bowl, they had 17 players. Uh, that went into the transfer portal to leave at Alabama. He probably gets tired of that, too, having to recruit his own guys. That would get really old. It I mean, would. I've always <laughs> can you imagine being a coach and you're having just to, to kowtow to 17 and 18-year-old <laughs> kids. Got to be a hassle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We're going to talk about Saban and Belichick with our buddy Rick Venturi at 9 o'clock. He coached with Belichick and Saban on the Brown staff back in the 90s and uh, vacations on a regular basis with Coach uh, Saban. So, so Coach Venturi with, with us at 9. And at 9.30, Gary Pinkle is going to join us. He played college ball with Nick Saban, and they coached together at Kent State. We're also going to talk to Greg Amzinger coming up at the bottom of this hour and Bernie Federico, the Hall of Famer, at 8.15. But coming up next, we've got Sick of It. Get your text in to the Air Comfort Service text line. That number, 314-399-9646. 314-399-YO-HO. <laughs> Sick of It. Next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. What are you sick of today? If you have something that you are sick of on this Thursday... Please send us a text, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YO-HO, and you can play Sick of It. Uh, guys, the Billikens were down by 20 last night, and they were able to come back and, and win the game. They aren't usually able to come back and do that. They beat St. Joe's, and it was an exciting ending. Uh, Missouri is kind of scuffling, too, after their start in uh, the SEC and loss to Kentucky. I am sick of the fact that our local college basketball teams are doing better. I have higher expectations for Travis Ford in his eighth year. After last year, I have higher expectations for the program put together by Dennis Gates. And I'm I'm sick of the fact that they just are so inconsistent. Slew, it was a must win, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. last night. They had to win that game. You're at home. They're now eight and eight, but up next at Dayton, at VCU, home against Davidson. Mm -hmm. Ken Pomeroy's latest projection has them at a total of 12 wins this year. Oh, man. Ouch, babe. Yeah, I'm and with you. they got win number nine oh. last night. Oh, it's nine. Okay, so they're now nine right, and eight. Uh, eight and eight, no, right? No, they're oh, eight and eight. eight, 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 eight. My apologies. Sorry. Yes. Uh, so yeah. I'm just saying, so that's four more wins across the rest of the season. That's oh, what he says. According to Ken Palm, that ain't, that ain't ideal. No, not at all. All right, I'm sick of the lack of movement in Major League Baseball free agency. Talk about it all the time at nauseum about this guy should go that way, this other person should play for this team, this is how much... Well, we don't hear any of it. Nothing's going on. You've got Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Matt Chapman, Josh Hader, Marcus Stroman, Reese Hoskins, Jorge Soler, Jordan Hicks, Justin Turner. Those are just some of the names that are still out there, and that's the top, in my opinion, the top free agents that are still left, but there's just... There's like 40 or 50 that are still out there 
that have uh, a chance to be signed by a team, and we're, what, about a month away from spring training. And well over yeah. two months into free agency. Yes. So let's I, go. What what else do you think the hangup could be at this point? Because I thought I would see more movement after Shohei Otani, after Yamamoto, and then you have Shoto Emanaga that just signed with the Cubs. I thought that you would see a lot more movement here, but it's been so stagnant and slow. What could be the reason? Teams don't want to spend money. Remember last That's year, the, one the, the Cardinal bench was all rookies. The Cardinal bullpen was essentially all rookies, all $750,000, $790,000 guys. And the Cardinals aren't alone in that. Nobody has that $4 million professional hitter coming off the bench anymore. I think Brooke is right, though, too. Don't you think once these guys sign, I thought for sure after Otani and after you saw Yamamoto, the pitching market was somewhat set. So that means you know what you're going to do with Blake Snell. You know what you're going to do with Jordan Montgomery. Mm -hmm. Uh, The reliever market still hasn't been set by Josh Hader. So there's still a lot of questions that are out there with Major League Baseball. It is. It's just so weird It's how slow it has been. Well, guys, you know what I'm sick of? It, yesterday, we talked about all the drama of Cutter Gautier versus the Flyers organization. And we even talked about the report from a Phillies beat writer and podcaster named Anthony Sanfilippo, where he accused Kevin Hayes of being involved in influencing Cutter Gautier and his decision to want to leave the Flyers organization. And it caused Kevin Hayes to have to one address it and two he was receiving threats from people so yesterday Tortorella decided to call out that media member at the press conference and this is what he had to say is the is the guy here is there doesn't the guy here that that caused Kevin Hayes a problem yes you yeah are you kidding me do you think Kevin Hayes is going to do something like that It just pisses me off that, that you guys throw that around and affect someone's life. Kevin Hayes and I had a problem. Uh, we couldn't come to an agreement how to play. That's a good man. That's a good man. And, and what you said is going to stay with them. It'll, it'll, that, that's what you guys don't understand. You say something and you're going to sit there and say you have the right source. And I call. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that is good on torts, how he handled that situation to call out that reporter. And this is what I'm sick of, guys, because then Anthony Sanflippo then goes to Twitter right after that press conference. And he says, well, Torch just lit me up in his press conference about Kevin Hayes completely unprompted. <laughs> that ought to be a joy for everyone for the next couple of days. Here's the thing. This is what I'm sick of being wrong in that way. You should be able to admit a mistake. If you have some concrete proof of somehow Kevin Hayes, a grown man, telling Cutter Gautier, who's also 19 years old, he's old enough to make his own decisions. Yes, Kevin Hayes somehow was pushing him all the way till the end to make this decision. Kevin Hayes isn't his agent. Kevin Hayes isn't his manager. At the end of the day, it's Cutter's decision. And to just throw that out there about Kevin Hayes and then not even back off of it in that way to say it was completely unprompted. No, it was prompted. And that's what I'm sick of. You should admit when you're wrong and you cause harm. It was very reckless for him to just put that out there. Bad, bad, bad. So good for torts, though. Uh, Matthew, what do you got on the old text line there? Sick of the winter, sick of the cold, sick of snow, sick of ice. Bring on spring. Agreed. 100%. 100%. 100%. I'm ready. Ready for golf. I think we've had a pretty mild winter, though. I, it doesn't not, matter. Not it, Sunday or really Monday. Hasn't. No, it's going yeah, to be, be a low of negative six on, on Sunday or Monday. It's, uh, all I care about I'm is out. what the high is going to be. Bail. Eject. What's the high going to be stop this? those days? Let's hey, check it out, shall we? I don't want to do this. Okay, Monday. Monday, Monday. 
a high of seven. God, Tuesday a high. Of, oh, Sunday high of ten. Monday high of seven. Tuesday a high of nine. Mm. And then we're all the way up to thirty on Wednesday. All the way up to thirty. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. And all of a sudden, you'll have spring. You'll have I'm baseball, and away we go. There you go. Summer will be here. Then you guys will be complaining about hundred degrees. What are some? <laughs> I never complain. That's about how it always goes, degrees. right? It yes. is. It is perpetually fifty degrees in this studio during the summer. I never complain about it being hot. No, it's, it feels it's fantastic. Great. Uh, sick of waking up in the middle of the night. Can't fall back asleep until forty-five minutes before the alarm. And now I'm dragging this morning. That's the worst thing in the world. What time do you guys get up for this uh, morning program at seven a.m. when we fire it up? I am usually up uh, at or before 5.30. I'm at 5. Mm. Now it's my first week. Uh-huh. So that could change very quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I wake up around 5.20 and then take care of Stevie, my dog. Mm-hmm. And that usually takes up a good amount of time. I, I feel like I should get up at 5, though. Take the dog out. Let the dog do its business. Mm-hmm. Come Stevie back Nicks. in. Yeah. Stevie Nicks. How's, how's Doug, Stevie by the Nicks. way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doug's great. Doug the dog is doing well. He is uh, partnered with his siblings, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, they cause a lot of havoc. Good. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt about it. I like that. I'm sick of. <clears throat> oh, by the way, can I uh, can I offer a happy birthday, happy eighth birthday to Moose the dog this morning? Oh, happy birthday, birthday Moose. Happy birthday, Moose. Yeah, named after Brian Elliott, of course. On the day he got benched by the Blues. The very first picture I ever had of Moose no, was sitting don't. on a bench. <laughs> I'm just glad to know that you're, you're, this isn't a new thing with you. It's just you've been, it's, it's been like this for a very long yeah, time. Yeah. It's good to know. I'm sick of Randy's lazy Belichick takes. Brady isn't Ooh. Brady without him. The first three Super Bowls were courtesy oh, of oh, Bill's oh, defense, oh, 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 and Brady has said oh, as much. Wait, give me a oh, second here. Oh. <laughs> Brady was fortunate enough to move into a great situation, but please stop calling him average when Bill Belichick built a dynasty. Love you, Randy, but you're better than that. Oh, what happened after Brady left New England? Go what, ahead. What, what happened? Uh, anybody? 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 Uh, they were terrible. He won a Super Bowl. He won oh, a Brady Super won a, yeah. Bowl. He won a Super oh, Bowl. And what Tampa did Bill Bay. Belichick do without they Brady? They suck. Hmm, 28-37, I believe. Something like that. <laughs> so uh, I would argue that Tom Brady actually did some things without Bill Belichick and that Belichick never has. And Belichick had Vinny Testaverde. Right? He didn't do anything with him. He got rid of Bernie Kosar because he didn't think Bernie Kosar could do it. He gets Vinny Testaverde. That didn't work out particularly well. Uh, he, he had an under 500 season with Drew Bledsoe. Uh, he gets a guy with 199th pick. Dick Rabine, by the way, advocated for Brady. It wasn't Belichick that do anything about him with the sixth round pick back in 2000. Uh, Belichick fell into it. There's nothing wrong with falling into it, but he did. So where do you think he winds up? As you advance this story, where do you think he... I'd said Atlanta seems to be a really good spot. If the Chargers would want him, you get a uh, franchise QB Mm -hmm. and fix your defense. Mm -hmm. But I I would look at Jim Harbaugh first. I think if any of these franchises are looking to replace a coach, my first call is to Jim Harbaugh. And uh, who replaces Bill Belichick? As he advanced the story here this morning. Mike Vrabel. I said it immediately after the Titans news broke that Mike Vrabel's going to the Patriots. And it might sound weird, right? Because it's like, why would you bring in somebody else who's been a part of that coaching family with Bill Belichick who have who has played for the Patriots in that way but I it to me it just makes a lot of sense and for a while now in Tennessee there's been a lot of rumors that Vrabel would be interested even Robert Kraft reportedly interested in Mike Vrabel as well there you go do you remember Arthur Blank went and pursued Joe Gibbs at one time yep he also I was gonna say he also went at Bill Parcells and now he has a chance to go get Belichick yeah we'll see if he gets him yeah 
but uh, instead you got the kid child of the playoffs guy. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, we are going to talk some ball with our buddy Greg Amzinger of MLB Network. He's with us next on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. The smartest way to do your homework is Hackman Lumber. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber is an authorized Yeti dealer and also stocks a large assortment of grills, so celebrate summer with a new Big Green Egg, Weber Gas, or Charcoal Grill, and all of the accessories from Hackman Lumber. Come visit their showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Brooke, Danny Mac, Randy, and we head to the Celebrity Line. And our friend, a product of the Lindenwood University, native of St. Louis, and the lead anchor for MLB Network, Greg Amzinger joins us now on the morning the check in the New England Patriots have parted ways. Good morning, Greg. How are you doing? Uh, I'm sitting here contemplating when Randy Carricker is going to produce this segment. If you had to pick one to replace Ollie Marmel, would it be Pete Carroll, Nick Saban, or Bill Belichick? I don't know why, but I could see Randy thinking that way because this is a unique day. I have three legendary leaders of men. Step down, I don't care what sport it is, but to slant it and get it towards an Ali Marmel replacement, I, I could see that in your future. Greg, great thought. <laughs> great thought, man. You, you, you're a producer at heart. I am, I, I am such a fan of the person that is Pete Carroll. I think I would probably at first blush go with, with Pete. He's something. He's, yeah, there, there's a great story about him. Uh, and you can Google it and find it. It's by J.R. Moringer, uh, McGraw-Milhaven's cousin. And it's from when Pete was coaching at USC. And he would go out at night into the inner cities in Compton and meet with young people. And they would freak out. They'd say, oh, man, Pete Carroll's in the hood. And try to do things to help them lead better lives. He, he truly is an amazing human being. I mean, that's deep. I, I would have gone with him because he's got the best hair for anybody in their 70s. Important, that's why I would have picked Pete Carroll. Yeah. Are you going to go gray when you do, or are you going to color yours? Will you go Pete Carroll, or are you going to go Tony La Russa? See, okay, I, I'm very sensitive about this. Randy, I, I, I'm watching the re-air of my show as we speak. Are you Are you seeing? No. Not seeing Are thing. you seeing like the early onsets of grain? Is that, no. Is that why you're asking me Greg, this question? Greg, if, if I ever did see it, there's no way I'd say yes. 
Uh, my kids, I have, I have a joke with them. They'll look at the side of my head and they're like, hey, Dad, um, hey, Dad, I think you're trying to look salt and pepper. And I go, oh, honey, I look at my wife. Honey, we got to take London to go get his eyes checked. He's there. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Yeah, I haven't noticed anything either, Greg. Just going to put that out there. I'm just going <laughs> to say that real quick. You have a great head of hair. So I do want to ask you, though, about Dylan Cease. He still remains at the top of the list of potential trade candidates for teams just seeking to have that rotation upgrade this offseason. But it seems like the White Sox are really not going to move him, and they're not moving on their asking price in a trade. Is it just more likely now that he won't get moved this offseason? We had this conversation yesterday. Daniel Dowd, uh, former GM, believes they have to move him. Uh, he, he doesn't like where he's trending mechanically uh, and, and the stuff coming out of his hand. I disagree with that. I, I, I really believe that he is not the 2023 version of Dylan Cease. His ERA more than doubled from 2022. He was the most dominant pitcher. I think I had a great conversation last night. Don't you worry. I was doing my best to recruit one Adam Adovino, who was moonlighting with us on MLB tonight. Uh, the Cardinals desperately need at least two more relievers, and I think he'd be great. He was drafted in the first round way back when by the St. Louis Cardinals, found his his way with the Colorado Rockies. He's got the lowest ERA in course field history. I think the Cardinals could use a veteran like that. And the way he talks about pitching, it's Granky-esque. I mean, he is a savant when it comes to this. He looked at Dylan Cease's stuff, and I think Adam Adovino might have arguably the best right-handed slider we've seen in, in ages. And Dylan Cease, that pitch was the best in baseball in 2022. And he says the shape of it has changed. It's more north-south, whereas before he was sort of sweeping it before they were giving that moniker to Sonny Gray. So now you've got a, an, an entire league that is adjusting to Dylan Cease. So he needs chase. He needs swing and miss because his fastball command isn't elite. So therefore, he's in deep counts and if guys aren't chasing, that's swinging at that slider, which obviously looks a bit different now. It's not hanging at the same eye level longer. Like he said, it's more north-south. So it's, it's dipping into the strike zone earlier than it was in 2022, um, they're not going to swing at it. Bottom line, the St. Louis Cardinals are a perfect organization. The Atlanta Braves come to mind. I don't know about the Baltimore Orioles yet. They're the team that's connected to him. But there are organizations that do a fine job of tweaking guys when they struggle in a certain category. I, I still believe in the spin rate of this guy, and I think his ability to spin it, his ability with great velo. Uh, I'm he's a short armor, which I I think that does lend itself to longer durability. I, I'm buying uh, Dylan Cease. If you're the White Sox, you're thinking to yourself, there are so many negative things coming in on him. Maybe what we do is we go opening day with Dylan Cease, Ken starts and he's got a 2.4 ERA, and now we're not selling while while this great asset we have has been tarnished a bit. Then on the other side, if you've got this great asset that you have to help your turnaround and your rebuild with to play with fire and expect him to not be injured, I mean, you you really got to hold your breath and wish for the best. So I think he gets traded before opening day. I really do. But there are others that are like, man, if you're the White Sox, you got to turn this into the 2024 version of Chris Sale. When Chris Sale was traded to the Red Sox, I know Yohan Moncada did not turn out to be a superstar. But at the time, when you go back and think about how he was described, he was an untouchable, coveted, future Robinson Cano 
superstar. And that haul that they got back for Chris Sale was supposed to really change the course of the White Sox. It didn't happen. But when you look at how those players were described, that's what they have to turn Dylan Cease into. Greg, we all can debate on what teams should do, and in particular with the Cardinals. So I'm curious with the uh, contacts that you have at MLB Network and whatnot, and I'm sure you guys talk about it, there's the idea of going out and getting somebody, and then there's the reality of whether they will or not. So as we're about a month away from spring training, are you hearing the Cardinals are active in any of these uh, potential free agents that are still out there? Yeah, the free agent market for relievers, they're definitely dialed in. And from what I'm hearing, they're contacting uh, agents, and this is something that they really want to address. They uh, might not be interested in someone with the um, elevated price that Josh Hader has, uh, which I, I think should be a target, to be quite honest with you. I, I'm a huge Josh Hader fan. Uh, we had a very deep conversation on Friday of last week about why he's here getting this bite of the apple. He kind of grabbed the bull by the horns and said, I'm not going to let uh, my organization use me however they want. Uh, he wanted to stay healthy for six years to get to this stage of his career. He got so fast, so good, that he was having multiple outings of more than three outs, multiple three consecutive days of pitching. He put his foot down and said, we're not doing that anymore uh, after the 2018 season. And and it was a fascinating conversation because I remember back in the day, Dan, you probably remember this Sports Illustrated article that Tom Verducci wrote about young pitchers, starters under the age of 25, and the innings that are poured onto oh, yeah. their arm when they break into the big leagues. And it really opened many organizations' eyes to protecting starting pitchers. We have not had that conversation about relievers. And this really came to a head at the end of September when the San Diego Padres needed to win five consecutive games for their playoff hopes to survive. And it was bases loaded, eighth inning lefty at the plate. Bob Melvin couldn't go to Josh Hader, who was up in the bullpen, because Josh Hader refuses to go more than three outs, and they would need him for the ninth inning. So Suarez gave it up. Bob Melvin went off. Uh, in the media after the game, and people looked at Josh Hader like he wasn't a team guy. I don't blame Josh Hader for thinking this way. And the reason I don't is I had the poster child for this issue, Dylan Patances, on our shelf. Dylan Patances had one of the greatest four-year stretches of any reliever in modern history, but he was used so many times in that way, more than three outs, three consecutive days, his shoulder eventually blew out. So Dylan Patances said he didn't blame Josh Hader for putting these restrictions. If I were the Cardinals, a guy that's thinking about his health the way Josh Hader is, who is, in my opinion, on the Hall of Fame highway, we're expecting January 23rd, Billy Wagner to be elected into Cooperstown. Look at Billy Wagner's numbers through his first seven years to where Josh Hader is right now at this stage of his career, eerily similar, more dominant for Josh Hader. I think he would be an amazing fix to this bullpen. It seems like the price of poker is coming down a bit because of his restrictions. Maybe he doesn't get an end with Diaz contract, which to me would make him more lucrative, more 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 uh, valuable to the St. Louis Cardinals. I think he should be their number one target and would really change the way people look at the Cardinals offseason. I said that from day number one. I mean, when you're looking at fi- filling innings, that's all well and good, but day number one, I thought Josh Hader would be number one on my list. He number just one. changes he changes the optics of the way the bullpen is. And I'm sorry, Dan, you talked about relievers, right? I have as well. They like having roles. 
They like it. And when there's a guy in the back end, all you need to do is point to the day where the Brewers traded Josh Hader when they were in the mix for a postseason spot. Devin Williams was furious with that. He was going to be anointed the closer, and he became one of the best closers in baseball. But relievers like to know where they fit in the food chain. And if you go get Josh Hader, there is no question who's got the ninth inning. None. Cardinals had a guy that they asked to get up in the ninth inning of a tie game, and he said, I'm not coming in. There's not a save situation here. So uh, that's another thing that you have to run into, guys that want the numbers. There was no way there could be a save in the game. It was a home game. And uh, he was asked to come in in the ninth and said, no, not coming in. Well, real quick, real quick. Uh, If you look at the numbers, and this is a psychological thing, I don't know why. When you put a closer in a tied game in a non-save situation, their numbers are inflated. Their ERA is higher. Mm-hmm. I don't get, na- name the closer. If you look at that guy's numbers in a non-safe situation, uh, it, it's a real thing. Why would it be a real thing? Because it all comes down to money. Uh, we had a professor at Lindenwood. Uh, Dan McLaughlin knows this. Randy Kirker knows this. Then Glenn Cerny. Mm-hmm. And he said, anytime you wonder why in your professional experience, you ask the question, why? In this case, why do closers come and die games or non-safe situations and their ERA is higher? He would just go, the answer is always this. And he would put the dollar sign, dollar sign on the up chalkboard. on the chalkboard. I disagree right. with that because there was not a more competitive guy than Bruce Suter. And the money... Uh, Bruce Sutter in his years here, it was the adrenaline. It was about the the adrenaline of being in that competitive situation, being able to protect the lead. And I I think definitely, maybe more so than ever in 2023, 2024, that's the case. But uh, Mariano Rivera was that way, right? Mariano Rivera wasn't as good in non-save situations as he was in save situations. I mean, Craig Kimbrell might be the most uh, insane example. example of this. Every team gets him, they're like, ah, but we already have a close role. Put him in the eighth inning. It blows up in their face. Put him in the ninth inning. The guy's building a Hall of Fame legacy, and he's wasting bullets in the back of his mind and that could impact his baseball reference page. He wants mm-hmm. career saves. That's the stuff that we're calling through right now, and it matters. There's a ripple effect with Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner's going to get into the Hall of Fame, and he hasn't pitched a ton of games. What, what, what does this mean? This means that Francisco Rodriguez is eventually going to probably get into the Hall of Fame. Might not be through the, the uh, voters but, or the writers, but it's going to be through a veterans committee. It, it means Kenley Jansen is probably going to get in the Hall of Fame. It means Aroldis Chapman is probably going to get in the Hall of Fame. It means Craig Kimbrell is probably going to get in the Hall of Fame. It means that John Franco is probably going to get into the Hall of Fame to a veterans committee. So all of these numbers, and by the way, there's monetary value to become an Hall of Famer. So this stuff matters to guys long-term. So a closer cares about a save opportunity. They just do. Greg, about a minute left. What do you think of the Cardinals adding Heim Bloom as an advisor to John Mosellock? Fascinating. I think that was a fascinating addition. Uh, anytime you bring in uh, a guy that was the guy, uh, it, it, it has a ripple effect uh, to everyone that was uh, in their current role in the front office. And I think this was a powerful message that John Mosellock, when he does step away at the end of this contract, which he claims he's going to do, um, everything just isn't set in stone the way it was the day he announced he signed this final contract. So what I think with two years left now for John Mosellock, yeah, yeah, 25, 25, yeah. Right, through 25. So, 
I, I think if you're sitting in that front office and you believe that you're going to be the, the general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals or the president of baseball operations and everyone's going to move up the ladder when John Moselag leaves, uh, this shocked your system a bit. This was definitely – Hein Bloom's name was brought up at many dinner tables of employees of that front office of the St. Louis Cardinals, and maybe it's a wake-up call uh, in, in some ways that things – the way they are now, the status quo – isn't good enough, and everyone needs to outperform what they've done before to ensure that they're going to be part of this journey going forward in the post-Mosaic era. Greg Amsinger, you are the man. We appreciate it, and there is no gray, not a speck of gray. In I'm telling you, I'm, sta- I'm standing five inches away from my, my flat screen right now, Randy. <laughs> i got to yeah, tell you, Greg, the, the only time I think you ever paid attention, and maybe the only time I showed up in Glenn Cerny's class is when he put up the dollar sign. It may have been the only time that I, that's the only thing I remember. <laughs> that was the day you went to class. Exactly. I heard you went to class one day, Dan. <laughs> that was that it. That was the day. <laughs> Just had to check in that first day, and that was it. <laughs> that's good, man. I was also there that 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 one that one day. <laughs> have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. All right, see you guys. See you, Greg. Greg Amsinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN. Next up, get your text in for Tioli, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YOHO. Take it or leave it next on 101 ESPN. No YOHO. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? We'll put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final author. Take it or leave it. All right, time for Tioli here on 101 ESPN. Kids, Nick Saban out at the University of Alabama. Take it or leave it. Mizzou goes to Tuscaloosa next October 26th and beats the tide. Doesn't matter who their coach is. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh I'm going to leave that. Okay. Too to much talent. Too. Yeah. I don't care who your coach is. They're going to have like 40 people out of, the, out of there on the transfer portal. They've already lost 17, and now the window for the transfer portal with Saban leaving opens up for, for 30 more days. And I'm not Alabama saying players. that Mizzou doesn't have great talent. They mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Give me the Jimmys and Joes before the X's and O's, Randall. <laughs> depends on who leaves. I think they're I agree. Go I, I agree. think they're going to go win. Well, also it depends on who gets hired, right? Uh, no, because it's the Jimmys else? and the Joes. Jimmys oh, and the Joes. Yes, Give me the players. Me. Yes, they yes. got talent. They do. It's still the Alabama at the end of yeah. the day. Yeah. So I'm going to have to leave it. Okay. But you do like you your chances your a peril. little bit better, though, right? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I had that as the loss next year, so now they're going 12-0. and There you go. Yeah. What about Dan Lannon as the head coach? Yes. You think yes. Oregon's going to let him get away? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, Phil Knight's got some pretty deep pockets yeah, to make sure he stays. He does. Take it or leave it. I thought it was very interesting what Greg Amsinger just said about that he thinks that the Cardinals should still go out and get two more relievers. Take it or leave it. They will go out and get two more relievers. Uh, for all the respect I have for Greg, which is enormous, I'm going to completely leave that. I don't think they could get another reliever. I, I, I think they can. I think they would one reliever, not two. Yeah. So I'm going to leave that because there's probably wiggle room. Um, also, if they wanted to go out and trade, they could maybe add. It would take a, let's say, a pretty good salary on the Cardinal side to match the two that are coming back. So it'd be like X for X. So could it happen? Yeah, but I don't think it will. 
No. I don't think it will. All right, take it or leave it. Travis Kelsey is the most recognizable face and NFL player in the country. With all due respect to Patrick Mahomes, it's Travis Kelsey, and I think the Swifties, and I'm serious about this, take him over the top. Agreed. Ooh. Take it. I, I think I might have to take it just because of that recognition that you have now with the Swifty fandom. And his jersey sales have definitely climbed, too, this mm-hmm. season. He's on every commercial. Yeah, He is. He's yeah. on everything. Mm-hmm. And so the one thing about the NFL is that you don't get a chance to really see the players because they're wearing helmets. And I do believe that. I mean, they're in the middle of playing. and You don't see the guy. And then they'll occasionally shoot him on the sideline. But you see Travis Kelsey as a quote-unquote human being outside of the NFL, he's probably the most recognizable yep. face right now in the league. Agreed. I, I 100% agree with that. Well, and usually it's the quarterbacks, you know. It's the franchise quarterbacks, as you yes. mentioned with Patrick Mahomes. But now to have a tight end that's getting all this publicity, that's different. And I love his podcast. Have you guys watched that with his oh, yeah. brother? That, I think, has also right. helped, too, with his recognition. By the way, is it not interesting that Andy Reid has replaced Aaron Rodgers in the State Farm commercials? And... Kelsey. Remember, it used to be Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes. And Aaron Rodgers is nowhere to be seen now on any commercials. What happens to Nick Saban and the Affleck commercials with Dion? (laughs) Drink. You drink what's in there? Uh, No, it's probably... Do you you, you go Kirby? Kirby Smart, maybe? I I can see Kirby. Or you get a player... Name, image, and likeness. That's true, yeah. You put you a player in there, Williams too. Got a lot. You can't get Kirby. Kirby has no personality. Neither does Saban. terrible. But no, Saban's <laughs> low-key. Ha- like, he's got something there. Remember the, you know, you know I'm not, you know, I'm not going to keep talking about it. You know, like, he's got personality. Dabo's a wet rag. Harbaugh would have been perfect if he doesn't wind up in the NFL, right? Yes. yes. He'll do stuff. Harbaugh mm-hmm. and Dion together. Just to see a guy in a different light. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yep, absolutely. Matthew, what do you got on the old text line there? Take it or leave it. We are all Lions fans this weekend. Take We're it. all Lions fans yep. this weekend. We are all Lions fans. Yep. Take it on the Rammies, and that's mm-hmm. why we are all Lions fans. Yep. I've Jared enjoyed Duff. the Lions in general this season well. and what they've been able to do, so I'll take it for that. Our guy Jamison Williams from Cardinal Ritter is yes. going to be back. Sam Laporta is Still probably... Still day-to-day. Yeah, day-to-day, but probably going to be out. And then uh, Jack Fox, the punter mm-hmm. from Ledoux, will be uh, punting away for them. So the St. Louis Lions. There you go. Take it or leave it. With all these different streaming sites, I shouldn't be able, feel bad when I steal certain games and shows. Take it. Yeah. Take it. Somebody could give me some ideas. <laughs> I think the oh, home... No. Not on the air! Don't the home markets this year, or I'm sorry, this weekend, get the game, even though the game's on Peacock, but it'll be shown in the home markets? The home markets. Yes. yes. Home okay. Markets. But nationally, yeah. you have to get the... Uh, I think you can spend five ninety nine, and that, that's the first month before Peacock kicks in. If you want to watch it that bad, you can hear it here live free on 101 ESPN, I believe. Do you guys I, have uh, Peacock? Oh, no, I we do. Don't. You, you I don't do. Yeah. I did hear another hack, which is that you can get a uh, 14-day free trial of um, what's uh, HelloFresh, the food thing, uh-huh. and they have a bundle where you then get a 14-day free trial of Peacock with the HelloFresh like food order. They're oh, trying to trap you in. That's how you get, in, how you get the free doing. trial. Don't you remember so. the days of when we thought that cutting the cord that you wouldn't have to spend as much as you mm-hmm. did for cable, but now you're going to have to pay for all these separate streaming yeah, services? Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's wild. And it's, uh, at our house, so you guys talk about having Peacock. We have all this stuff. I have no idea how we have all this stuff, but we have Peacock, we have Paramount, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, Apple TV, Apple TV. You should look at the bill. That's what. That's where you're like, oh, it sneaks up on you. Yeah, uh, Apple TV. I think we came with T-Mobile, which was good. Mm. Yeah. So, take it. I am pulling for Kyron Williams, by the way, this weekend. I'm not. I know he's a Vianney guy, but I can't. Got to pull for a St. Louis kid. 
I agree with you, Dan. Thank you. It doesn't yes. mean he has to win the game, but he can go for like 150, couple touchdowns, and they lose. Danny, as long as they lose. There's Danny Mack in 2000. Like, listen, this Kurt Warner guy did a lot of good things, but I still believe in Trent. I did. <laughs> yeah, you did. And so did Randy. <laughs> yep, I did. Take it or leave. Had a good career. Yeah. a great guy. Yeah, you're a great guy. Take it or leave. The Cardinals should wait and sign Devin Williams for the bullpen next year and not sign Josh Hader this year. We're going to run into the same problem is that he's going to cost a lot of money <laughs> oh, if he's really yeah. good. And... <laughs> He's effective, so I'm not sure that that would be the uh, the direction that they would go. Although it'd be great if Devin Williams says, "You know what? Want to come back to St. Louis? Yep. Take a little bit of a league minimum hometown. I don't doubt that, but a hometown discount <laughs> and come on back to the Cards. Hmm. Yeah, you never know. Never can tell. Nope. Although Matthew, next year, Tink Hens will be available out of the bullpen. He mm. might be. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Uh, the Cardinals already have Helsley, Gallegos, Kittredge, Romero, whom they like. The loser of the Thompson Mats starting battle and Jean King. So I I don't know that there's a spot. Do you want to fill it in with two more guys that you can't send down? That's my question. I I don't think the Cardinals are in a position now this year because they couldn't do it last year and it hurt them. Where you can't send guys down. You need to have you you need to utilize. We we talk about an eight man bullpen. You really need to have like a fourteen man bullpen with the last six of them being fungible. I just think that having extra security never hurts, right? Having another arm in the bullpen, mm-hmm. I think, would be very beneficial. I know we've talked about him a lot, but Phil Maton just makes a lot of sense to me. And if you don't want to spend Josh Hader money, Phil Maton is at least in that bucket of where it makes sense for the Cardinals financially. And you need about a eight to nine man rotation mm-hmm. because you're going to have more than likely some type of injury. When I was listening to Greg, all I could think about is Ryan Helsley. Mm. Ryan Helsley. Mm-hmm. One out of three days, occasionally two out of three, never three out of three. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and that's just the modern day look at some of these guys that number one throw so hard, but if they're closers, they're going to be, you know, they're going to get paid, mm-hmm. and that they're trying to put up stats. To Back get in paid. my day, Bruce Suter would take a cortisone shot in the shoulder. Yeah, and he'd also be fishing at two o'clock in the afternoon and wouldn't he show was. up the ballpark till seven. That's just how the game. Was. I mean, literally, <laughs> it, was it was awesome. Those were the days. Guys would show up at five thirty, take around a BP, and say, "Let's go get him." Yep. Riley O'Brien's going to be in that bullpen at some point. Rob. Rob is his nickname. R O B. Matthew Libertor is going to be there at some point. Tink is going to be there. Tacoa Roby mm-hmm. is going to be there. Joe Klopfenstein. No, Adam Klopfenstein. You're thinking sure. of the tight end. I have a bad tight end from Colorado. <laughs> man. Yeah. Why do we remember that he's from Colorado? Why is that burden in my brain forever? I have no idea. Okay. Uh, that is Dan. That is Brooke. That is Matthew. I am Randy. Coming up, which of the open jobs that is left open by a departing legend is least desirable? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the opening drive's fresh take. In St. Louis, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke, Dan, Randy, and Matthew. Matthew, getting some uh, information in. What are you getting here about uh, the Alabama job? I haven't been able to 100% confirm this, but I'm seeing there's just there's some people, uh, some college football writers on Twitter who are saying that they're seeing the future bet on the Alabama's next coach being taken off certain sports books. But I'm always wary on this kind of stuff because there's a lot of sports books. 
and some of them mm-hmm. don't do things the hundred percent, you know, uh-huh. the most real and above board ways. So I'm not Are sure which same ones that is. said Otani's going to yeah. Toronto. You see, <laughs> okay, Dan, Dan, oh. Danny getting exactly to my point, which right. is, but but. Maybe there was the report yesterday that uh, that Dan Lanning was in Tuscaloosa, so right. we'll see. Uh, the, the departure of Nick Saban from Alabama is seismic in all of college football, but specifically for us in the SEC. And, Brooke, you noted that Eli Drinkwitz was asked about the departure of Nick Saban from Alabama and college football in general. Well, yeah, 100%. I think that if you're talking about the vacancies right now and we're looking at New England, which job would you rather – or which one is the hardest one to go into, the Patriots? Patriots right now or Alabama, I'm always going to choose Alabama, one, because of Nick Saban's legacy and what he leaves behind, but also the state of college football. So yesterday, Eli Drinkwitz was talking to a Houston radio station, and it was live on air that he reacted to Nick Saban saying that he is retiring. And Eli Drinkwitz immediately had an interesting thought about how the state of college football needs to change as a business model. Yeah, and I'm going to, all right, y'all want to hear it? We're ruining the best thing in college football. We're ruining a great game. It's the culture. It's the the culture of the United States of America. The college football is embedded in our culture. And we're going to continue to drive great coaches out of it unless we get our act together and get some sort of plan that's sustainable. You're the second coach to sit here and say that. This is a great game. And we're not complaining. Coaches are not complaining. I promise you, I love what I do. Okay. We're just saying right now the business model is not as good as it needs to be, and it, got, it has to be improved. And we've got to find somebody who can who, who will listen to us and say, "Okay, we hear you, and we'll put it together." Again, the game's never been the product on the field's never been better. Okay, but man, when the best coach of all time says he's hanging up his whistle, woof, we all got to listen, and maybe he can. Shoot, maybe this is all by design. Maybe he's going to be announced as a commissioner. Your first choice is, uh, is, is now available. I'm sure. I'm sure in retirement, Miss Terry's thinking I'm not letting him go back to work. Okay. <laughs> and this is why I think it's so hard. One, going into college football, and of course, I'm not going to take away being an NFL head coach is very hard as well. But the state of college football right now, you have the 12-team format changing when it comes to playoffs and how that will look. You have NIL. You have the transfer portal. There are so many other things happening where I feel like that job would be so much tougher to step into. I agree. And there's a couple of things. When you talk about the two legendary coaches that have retired over the last couple of days or have, are leaving their jobs, Saban never wound up losing. He he was in the college football playoff this year. He was one of the final four teams. Bill Belichick has made the playoffs once in the last four years. And he left the next coach the third pick in the draft. There's no question that the least desirable job, the, the job where you cannot win, even if you win, is Alabama. It's Gene Bartow going to UCLA to replace John Wooden all over again. Bartow won a lot at UCLA, but it wasn't good enough because he didn't win the championship every year. And that's what it'll be at Alabama. Whoever follows Nick Saban, even if they get into the 12-team playoff, unless you win, you're going to be looked at as a failure. Can you guys believe that every player that played at Alabama under Nick Saban had a chance to win a national championship? It's incredible, yes. isn't it? <laughs> that yes. is, to me, unreal. And I- I'm with you, Randy, because I initially went into the break and I thought, you know what, New England, because they need a QB, it's QB-driven league, it's crapshoot sometimes, even if you have the number three pick as to whether or not it's going to work. Look at what's happened in Carolina. They had the number one overall pick. Didn't quite work out this year. May, but it's going to take some time. Um, 
you never want to be the guy to replace the guy, or you want to be the guy that replaced the guy, I should say. You know what I mean? You, you don't want to be replacing Nick Saban. You, you, you want to be the guy that replaces the guy. You don't correct. want to be Wayne yes. Hagen. Exactly. <laughs> so that's a little tough to go through replacing Jack Buck. Um, but I, I look at it, though, is that there are going to be certain coaches that say, you know what, I've done well at Oregon, or I've done well at Florida mm-hmm. State with Mike Norvell. Uh, I think about DeBoer at, at Washington and the kind of success that he also had at different levels of college football. And these guys say it's a challenge. And if I have unlimited resources like they're providing at Alabama, you know, I can do this too. I, th- there will be guys that say that. Oh, yeah. You know that. Yeah. It's well, just a matter of whether or not they can. Mike Norvell's an interesting name because he goes undefeated at Alabama. He's going to be in the Final Four. You would hope. <laughs> well, the Final 12. You would hope. Yeah. yeah. Well, going back to what Eli Drinkwitz says, do you think that the state of college football is going to continue to drive out great coaches? Because, of course, too, we're waiting to see what happens with Jim Harbaugh. I think it's pretty easy to see him possibly going to the NFL. Do you think that that will change some coaches' perspective of staying at college football? I would say that they look at it and it becomes a young man's game. Mm-hmm. I think some of the older guys, the established guys, guys that have been through this time and again, and Nick Saban at 72 said, I had enough. I, I just think it's a young man's game. When you have to go out and, as you said earlier, Randy, re-recruit your own players, go to the transfer portal, figure that out, get on planes nonstop to recruit these kids or transfer portal kids it's a young man's game and it's tough it's just i think it's tough emotionally i think it's tough on your body i think it's tough on your family and at some point you just say enough's enough i made enough money and i'm moving on and as eli said it's affecting the quality of the product when you look at what happened with florida state and georgia the transfer portal and the timing of the transfer portal and the number of changes as a result of the transfer portal are causing havoc with the quality of the college football product and it's i i don't know how they solve that because you're always going to have the quantity now you're going to have unless parents start getting told hey you know what your kid might go into the transfer portal mm-hmm. but more kids than not are not getting new scholarships until parents figure that out then there's going to be a problem yeah i 100 percent agree it's a very tough business with the way that it is right now and it seems like then you incorporate social media and having to be active with that when it comes to recruiting and keeping those players mm-hmm. there's a lot that there's many layers to it now looking at new england what are the challenges a coach is going to face going there well, people are going to think of Belichick from the best days rather than, the, and they're going to think of the Brady days. Actually, whoever gets drafted with that third pick in the draft at quarterback is probably going to face more scrutiny. But the problem is you have to live up to a winning standard that they have. And what happens is, and I don't know if four years is long enough, what happens is when you're good for a while is winning quits being joyful it becomes a relief and that's in part because cardinals are a perfect example because of the entitlement of spoiled fans they they expect to win every year without the a lot of them having the realization that you can't win every year so i think that's what it comes down to is that organization robert Kraft. Uh, Jonathan Kraft, the people within that organization, they're going to have extraordinarily high expectations. And every fan, they're going to have extraordinarily high expectations, and I don't know if you can even meet them. Let me throw this at both of you guys. Would you rather, if you're the Kraft family, get away from the Belichick tree of coaches? Mike Vrabel, uh, Gerard Mayo is going to get interviewed for sure, Mm -hmm. the linebackers coach, and just say, we're going to break this thing clean, and we're going to start in a different direction. Now, we've had this great success, clearly, 
but is it better just to kind of break free, do something different, and change the complexion of the organization? That's that's tough because I've just already had set in my mind personally that Vrabel just makes a lot of sense for the Patriots, and it seems like Robert Kraft has that interest in him. I do get that, though, to have a new set of eyes, a new perspective coming into your organization to really turn things around, especially if you want things turned around quickly, but then you can also look at the other side of it of, somebody who is aware of our expectations and has been a part of that culture and getting that culture back on track. I would say they stay with the Belichick tree. I mean, you start looking at the success that they had. It's the greatest run in the history of football. So Mike Vrabel, to me, makes all the sense in the world. It does. Played there, legendary player, obviously had success at Tennessee. Randy, he's the guy, for me, at least. Here's the thing, though, is we're looking through a a big prism. I think we need to look at a more narrow prism and where the league is headed. Baltimore is coached by John Harbaugh, a former special teams coach. Niners, Kyle Shanahan, offensive guy. Cowboys, Mike McCarthy, offensive guy. Lions, Dan Campbell, offensive guy. Bills, Sean McDermott, defensive guy. Chiefs, Andy Reid, offensive guy. Browns, Kevin Stefanski, offensive guy. Eagles, Nick Sirianni, offensive guy. Um, Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, offensive guy. Uh, so it, Sean McVay, offensive guy. So it's, it seems like the league with the rules and the personnel is going so much more offensive that I might be inclined to have to try to hire a guy with an offensive bent if I were an NFL owner. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think I just I still think Vrabel just makes so much sense for New England and what they're going to look to get back on track. He did with. play offense. A little bit uh, yeah. What about a guy that you feel can develop QBs? That's where I'm looking at. Yes. You know, if you it's a quarterback driven league and if I have the number 3 pick, I'm going QB. Yeah. They they obviously have to. And so I'm looking at the best available candidate that can at least in the history of what they've done in the league has developed a quarterback yeah. or two. Right. And that's the direction I'm going. Whether he's part of that tree or not. That is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we are going to talk to our friend, the Hall of Famer, Bernie Federico, Blues and Rangers tonight at Enterprise. Bernie will preview that one next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Danny Mack, Randy Carricker is the opening drive on 101 ESPN. The Blues host the Rangers tonight. 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN, your radio home. Your TV home is Valley Sports, and Bernie Federico handles the pre-intermission and post-game with Alexa Dad or Scott Warman, and Bernie joins us now as he does every Thursday morning here on 101 ESPN. Bernie, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy. I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Well, it was a tough loss the other night to a really good team, but things don't get any easier, do they, in these next two games? No, this has been a really a, going to be a tough stretch for the Blues. I mean, I think we said the whole month of January is against a really good hockey club. So, uh, hey, I think the, the most important thing is, you know, you know you're playing against good teams, you got to play your best. And, and so far, I mean, I thought the Blues played pretty decent the other night. I mean, couldn't finish. I think that's the big problem right now. The power play is a little bit of a problem. Not a little bit of a problem, a lot of a problem, but uh, I think the competition level was really, really good, and I think they played really hard the other night once again. 
Well, Bernie, that's what I was going to ask you about because the Blues power play just continues to be an issue and now hitting a new low with that 0-4 performance the other night. The Blues unit, power play unit, is now officially last in the NHL. I know that we keep asking and trying to find answers as to what they could do, but what can they do past this point? You just have to keep working on it. I mean, uh, there's a lot of good video out there from other teams that are that are really good in the power play, and I think you just almost want to emulate what the, what the other teams, the good teams, do. I mean, certainly the, the talent is there. Uh, moving it around, get, getting the right guys in the right position, and eventually, if you keep shooting it, it's going to go in, Brooke. I mean, it's it's very frustrating, and I think for the guys, it becomes a mental problem more than anything else. So they don't expect to score every time they go out. So I, I think just they need a couple of good bounces. But you have to start believing in yourselves, and and you've got to start really bearing down a little bit more and, and, and hopefully something comes because it's really uh, you've got the talent to do it. The, the puck's got to eventually start going. Bernie, you're a Hall of Famer. You can evaluate talent with the best of them. How much fun was it to watch uh, Matthew Kachuk the other night, the St. Louis native, come in? And I know it's against the Blues, but still you enjoy talent on the ice. How much fun was that to watch him? Yeah, Danny, you know, he, he plays uh, just kind of like his dad did. I mean, Big Walt went to the front of the net, uh, did those little things. He got that big body in the way and, and always was able to score goals. And I think both his kids are like Brady's like that. And, and, you know, Matthew, I mean, coming off a great season, in fact, his last two seasons have been both 100-point seasons. And uh, I think he had a real slow start and started scoring goals. I mean, he's adding assists, but uh, to get the hat trick, I, I think it's always exciting. I, mean, I, I think it's, it's you know, more exciting to watch the reaction uh, of the camera shot on Chantel and, and, and Big Walt. Even it's awesome. Big Walt, you know, yeah, with Big Walt, he's still you know, working for the Blues. It's a little uh, kind of uh, puts him in a little tough spot, but you always want to want your kids to do well. So, I mean, I think that Matthew is, is one of those those kids that comes to play, and, and, and I think Brady does that too. And, and I think that's what young kids should, should learn from. Have fun out there, and Matthew is having fun out there, but you've got to get involved. You've got to get to the front of the net. You got to do those little things to, to score in the greasy areas, and then that's how you become a really good hockey player. Hey, Bernie, the other night, uh, Drew Bannister was clearly upset with the, the turnover by Verona for the third goal, and he, he voiced his dissatisfaction in his postgame press conference. But how do you guys, as players, handle it? If somebody just continually keeps making a mistake, how do you, especially as one of the one of the top teammates, how do you handle that or deal with it? Well, I mean, it's it's uh, everybody's a part of the team, and and uh, you don't have to tell anybody they made a mistake, uh, Randy. I mean, you know it. I mean, these guys are professional uh, hockey players. They know that uh, what they're supposed to do and when they're not supposed to do. And when you do it over and over and over, I mean, you're going to get your teammates are going to say something to you, but uh, it's up to you. I mean, it's accountability from yourself that you know that hey, if you get in a certain position and you you have to judge what the the, the you know the the score in the game is at the time and the situation is and you're supposed to dump it in get it in if you're not you know if you make it too many times you're not going to last very long and I think it's just simple as that but I mean you're going to get the support of your hockey team uh, as long as you're not doing it every game or, or every other shift so uh, the game is all about mistakes and, and capitalizing on somebody else's mistakes and it's it's a bunch unfortunate with Veronica what he did and uh, I think he's a little bit more into the spotlight because he went down to the minors had the issues, came back, and uh, obviously he's going to be under the spotlight a little more under the microscope. But, uh, again, you, you can only do it so many times before you run out of chances. So so hopefully he's not going to do that. And it's like everybody else. I mean, everybody makes mistakes in, in the games. And right now I think he's he's just 
a little more under the microscope because of the situation that he's in. Bernie, taking a look at the future for the Blues and their organization, obviously we have talked about the representation that they've had at World Juniors. And, of course, people are really excited to see Jimmy Snuggerud eventually with the Blues. But with Doug Armstrong's comments the other day, it seems like we could be seeing Jimmy pretty soon. Yeah, it's, it was a comment that I think we all looked at and say, okay, uh, what does that really mean? But uh, it's up to Jimmy. I mean, he's in college right now. I mean, he doesn't have to sign uh, until he's, he's finished school. I mean, he has the right to do that. If he wants to, he's only, only a sophomore now. If he wants to <laughs> continue on in, in, uh, <laughs> at school and finish his college, uh, that, that so be it. But uh, if he decides that he wants to come out, it, it sounds like the Blues certainly do want him. Uh, that he, if he's capable of coming out and and turning pro and and being a big part of the Blues, then then the more power to him. But uh, certainly that's going to be up to Jimmy, and it would be nice to have some good young talent, obviously. But uh, the one thing with that is you certainly don't want to bring a player in too early. If he thinks he's not ready, uh, then it's going to be not a good thing for him as well. So we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. But certainly when you see that the young talent that they have, I mean the prospects that they do have in the organization. Future does look bright. Hey, Bernie, we're about a month or so into the uh, Drew Bannister era so far, and and what he brings to the table. What what have you seen in terms of what he's like behind the bench, his demeanor, practice, what the team is doing on the ice and games? Just a general thought on what you've seen out of Drew. He's pretty calm, cool, and collected out there, Danny. I mean, he doesn't uh, change much. I mean, his uh, demeanor behind the bench is pretty, is pretty solid uh, the whole time. So. I have not really seen an awful lot of changes. I, I like the way the Blues are, are, are playing. They're competing uh, each and every shift, and it's not just one line or just one player. I think all four lines, all six defensemen are giving it all each and every shift. So I think that's something uh, that, 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 that has happened, and, and I don't know why that you know a coach falls out of grace. It doesn't make much sense. I mean, you, you've got a job to do. You go up there, and, and, and you're supposed to work each and every shift and, and uh, try to do your best of your ability to win hockey games. So... Um, whatever happened is, is beyond that now, and and, uh, and I think that the guys are really competing hard for, for Drew. Now, has he changed the system? I don't see an awful lot of, of, of differences out there. I mean, I think they're working on things, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, obviously they're not giving up as many scoring chances, but that's a matter of work. So I, I, he's got them working hard, Danny, and I think that's really the only thing I see different. Bernie, we will be tuned in tonight. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. You guys have a great day. You too. Thank you. That is Bernie Federico, the Hall of Famer. He'll be on Valley Sports tonight for Blues Rangers action, and you can hear that here on 101 ESPN as well. Coming up next, we've got the fight. Matthew, do you need a fighter? Yeah. All right. All you need to do is take – I think Matthew's rooting for a loss here. He just doesn't want to have really to get a fighter. It really seems like it, right? It does, yeah. So. 19 or 20 in a row for you, Randy. At the same time, losses never go well for me, so oh. – uh. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird <laughs> – I'm in a weird uh, conundrum right now. Okay. <laughs> so, all right, we'll figure it out. Just shot at you, Randy, that you get a little upset, or maybe the question is, you know, not phrased properly or something. Because <laughs> you don't lose. You do not lose. He does not. Well, no comment. Am I supposed to like it? <laughs> oh, man. Brooke, would you like it? No, of Thank course you. not. I think the question is do, do Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, or Nick Saban like when they lose? No, they don't. Mm. Bill throws little hissy fits. <laughs> I think we've seen some saving yeah. hissy fits, too. Oh, we have, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, text in 314-399-9646, yo Yo-ho-ho! If you would like to fight, just text in your name of the word fight, and maybe Matthew will pick you to fight me here on 101 ESPN. Your 
back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the Opening drive. Brooke Grimsley here alongside Randy Carricker and Danny Mack and Matthew Roggio. And it is time for the fight. Our fighter today stepping up to the plate and to the challenge is going to be Jeff. Jeff, how are you doing today? Very great. Thanks a lot, guys. Can't oh. believe I'm, I'm on. Nice. Have you been trying to get on for a while now, Jeff? I, I don't think I've been on for maybe 10 years or so. <laughs> 10 years? That was when wow. Randy was in uh, afternoon drive. Have you ever taken on Randy? I don't remember taking on Randy. I beat Zach McCrite like 10 years ago. Wow. And I wow. used to drive. I used to borderline get in accidents trying to get on, but I'm, <laughs> I finally got text message number saved with a yo-ho. There you there go. go. There okay. you go. Well, hopefully it will be worth it today. So are you ready to take on Randy in the fight? I'm ready. Question number one, Jeff. Nick Saban's NFL career had three total stops. Defensive backs coach in Houston, head coach in Miami, but where was he a defensive coordinator? Was it the New York Jets, the New England Patriots, or the Cleveland Browns? Cleveland Browns. Final answer? Final answer. Pete Carroll is just one of three head coaches to win a college title and a Super Bowl alongside Jimmy Johnson. And who else? Was it Joe Gibbs, George Seifert, or Barry Switzer? Hmm. Barry uh, can you read that again? Sure. Joe Gibbs, George Seifert, or Barry Switzer? Uh, Joe Gibbs. Final answer? Final answer. The Patriots changed their name from the Boston Patriots to the New England Patriots in 1971, but not before abandoning a proposed change to what name? Is it the Bo- the Boston Bluecoats, the Bay State Patriots, or the Bay City Patriots? I'd, they sound like some, some Boston Bluecoats to me. All so I'll right. go with that. Okay. Question four. The Warriors won four titles across an eight-year span. In those four wins, the finals MVP was awarded to Andre Iguodala, twice to Kevin Durant. Who was the other? Was it Harrison Barnes, Steph Curry, or Clay Thompson? It had to be Steph Curry. Final answer, sir? Final answer. All right. We'll double check the scores. And bring in Randy Carriker. All right, How come on feeling, in, Randy. Jeff? Ten years in the uh, waiting. Was it worth it? Not. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. I'm happy to be back, but I don't think I did great. You never know, though. It's always harder than it seems, right? A little bit. A lot of Patriots action, but hey, <laughs> I got a, I got at least a 10% chance, and I'm, I'm thinking so. There you go. After ten years, you always have a chance, right, Jeff? Well, oh, we got Randy Carricker in now. Randy, say hi to Jeff. Jeff, good morning. How you doing? Very good, Randy. Sunshine today. Sunshine, lollipops, all of that. Yeah. He's been waiting ten years. Oh. He's been trying to get this going for ten years. Jeff, thanks so much for your patience. We appreciate it. We're <laughs> glad that you're able to play. Yeah, thank you. 
All right, Randy, ready to take on Jeff in the fight? Ready. Question number one. Nick Saban's NFL career had three total stops. Defensive backs coach in Houston, head coach in Miami. But where was he a defensive coordinator? Can you say that again? Nick Saban's NFL career had three total stops. Defensive backs coach in Houston, head coach in Miami. But where was he a defensive coordinator? Uh, He was a defensive coordinator for the the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland Browns. Is that your final answer, Randy? Uh, Yes, sir. He was Mm -hmm. working with uh, our guest coming up at the top of the hour. Tease it. Coach Rick Venturi. There you go. Pete Carroll is just one of three head coaches to win a college title and a Super Bowl alongside Jimmy Johnson and who else? Whom? Whom? Who would it be? I, Dan, am going to go with Barry Switzer. Barry Switzer, who won with Oklahoma and the Cowboys with Jimmy Johnson's team. That was Jimmy's team. It really was. The Patriots changed their name from the Boston Patriots to the New England Patriots in 1971, but not before abandoning a proposed change to what name? A different name. I'll uh, I'll use the lifeline here, Brooke. The Boston Bluecoats, the Bay State Patriots, or the Bay City Patriots? I will go with uh, one of the Bay things. I'm going to go with... uh, Bay City or Bay State? I'll go Bay State because that's kind of more New Englandy. Final answer, Randall? Final answer, Dan. The Warriors won four titles across an eight-year span. Mm-hmm. In those four wins, the finals MVP was awarded to Andre Iguodala, mm-hmm. twice to Kevin Durant. Who is the other? Steph. Curry. Okay. <laughs> How you feeling about this, Randy? Not great. Mm, Not great. Right. No, that's his way of saying I feel really positive about it. <laughs> we have a winner in today's fight. No Ring need for a tiebreaker today. Does Randy Carricker roll on to a 20th straight fight win that goes all the way back to 2023? Or does Jeff, after waiting 10 years, get the win he's been waiting for? So mean. Come on, Ring Jeff. Come on, Jeff. That bell. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Ah, I'm sorry, Jeff. He hit the jack. He beat you four to two. Oh man, I yeah. thought Switzer. I should have showed more respect for Barry Switzer. Yeah, he won a Super Bowl with another man's team, and you're you're good on that one. Yeah. Let's go through the questions and answers in the fight. Nick Saban's NFL career had three total stops: DB coach in Houston, head coach in Miami. In between this, he was Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns. Pete Carroll just one of three head coaches to win a college title and a Super Bowl alongside Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer. The Patriots changed their name from the Boston Patriots to the New England Patriots in 1971, but not before abandoning a proposed name change to the Bay State Patriots. They bailed on that change because they would have been the BS Patriots. Oh. And somebody in the marketing department said, whoa, 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 whoa. We got to change this. And they were no longer the Bay State Patriots. They, it was about two months long before somebody caught the error and they corrected it. And surprising that that got through in, in Massachusetts. And the Warriors won four titles across an eight-year span. Iguodala wins the first one. Durant wins two. And then Curry won the most recent and final for the Golden State Warriors. A 4-2 win for Andy Carricker in today's fight. Jeff, thank you so much for joining the fight. Enjoy in the show great guys thanks for ha- thanks for having me jeff thank, thank you, you so jeff. much for listening we appreciate it too hopefully we'll see him before 2034 no <laughs> doubt about it well yeah if it's 2034 i ain't gonna be around <laughs>
Yes, Randy, you will. Randy, no, no, don't say that. It's 10 years. Don't you dare say that. Yeah, please don't. Don't you dare say that, Randall. <laughs> You'll be here. You guys will be fine. Hey. Stop. Kids, as we watch NFL quarterbacking, would you rather have somebody who sat for a while like Jordan Love or somebody who took over right away like C.J. Stroud? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Pete Carroll said on Monday that he didn't intend to retire, that he wanted to keep on coaching, that it was a situation where he would like to keep his current job. But when you have these conversations at the end of the season, as every team does, sometimes they take you in ways that you weren't expecting. Pete Carroll has all the energy in the world, wanted to keep going on. But the fact of the matter is the organization felt like it was better to move forward, making a change right now. Which is why, again, they want to keep Pete Carroll around, but they were willing to make a change. ESPN's Adam Schefter yesterday, after Pete Carroll was announced as leaving the coaching job of the Seattle Seahawks, and he's going to take an advisory role completely different than Bill Belichick, who negotiated from the Patriots a deal that with one year left on his contract, they will not pursue compensation for him when he chooses another job. At the beginning of yesterday, we had five NFL head coaches that had won a Super Bowl with their team, totaling seven Super Bowls, six for Belichick and one for Carroll. And then you had Harbaugh with one with Baltimore, Tomlin with one with uh, the, the Steelers, and Sean McVay with one with the Rams. Now, those three singular Super Bowls are the only guys with their teams at the moment that have won a Super Bowl. Obviously, you have Sean Payton, who moved from New Orleans to Denver, and you have uh, Mike McCarthy, who won with Green Bay and is now in Dallas. It's hard to stick around even if you win these days. Uh, yeah, I think the Pete Carroll one might be a little bit more surprising to me. Out of all the reactions, and of course Nick Saban retiring, but if we're talking specifically about the moves made in the NFL, I think Pete Carroll was really surprising to me because of the legacy that he's built, and I felt like he could still keep going and you're talking about he doesn't look like his age he moves around Mm -hmm. really well he doesn't you don't think of him as being a guy in his 70s necessarily and you see his legacy and what he's been able to do why is the reason that you think that Seattle decided to move on there's a couple things that come to mind to me and number one he's a defensive-minded coach Mm -hmm. and their defense was 25th in points allowed so that would be cause of concern and his age can you relate to younger players and I, I think anybody that looks at Bill Belichick or a, a Nick Saban or a Pete Carroll, 72 is 72. And when you're talking about the life of sports, it's an older coach. And can you relate to younger players? And I think it's a legitimate question. And you question about energy. And Pete Carroll's got plenty of energy. He when does. you watch him on the sideline, he's running up and down. And I don't think anybody questions that. I don't think people question Nick Saban. I don't think they would question Bill Belichick. But I also have to wonder about the appetite of another organization bringing in a headstrong coach like Bill Belichick. And he has said he would relinquish player personnel and would just coach. But do you believe him? I don't know. I mean, I think some organizations might say, eh, and yeah, mm-hmm. you say that, but you're going to 
you're going to have a real serious say and be forthright with what you want. You wonder what they were thinking in Seattle, though, to give Pete Carroll, Geno Smith, and Drew Locke. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not like Geno Smith was pretty well established. That's, to me, and he had a good year two years ago, not a good year this year, but that's a recipe for disaster if you've got Geno Smith and Drew Locke competing for your starting quarterback job. And my guess would be that they were thinking, okay, Geno's going to be an abysmal failure and we'll fire Carroll after last year and draft the quarterback, then Carroll works the miracle and gets him to the playoffs with Geno Smith, and then you can't fire him. So then what they wanted to happen kind of happened this year, except they'll as long as Pete Carroll's coaching, you're never going to be terrible. Back-to-back, nine and eight seasons, yep. mm-hmm. one losing season, went to two Super Bowls and won one. And that's what makes it so shocking. Do you think also a factor of what we're seeing right now? I mean, this has felt, and I asked you guys during one of the breaks about this, I don't think we've seen this many coaching changes, especially established coaches like this, all happening around the same time. Is this just also the NFL kind of ushering in a new era of coaches, a changing of the guard in a sense? I I go back to what happened with everybody who had ever had coffee with Sean McVay getting a a head coaching job. Isn't that something? Yeah, and (laughs) you look now, and aside from Andy Reid, kind of different than baseball. The young guys are succeeding at a really high level. And you, you look at what McVay has done. You look at what Zach Taylor has done. We we mentioned earlier that uh, Mike Tomlin's only 51 years old. He started when he was 36. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, still, relatively speaking, And now he's me, the longest man. tenured head coach yeah. right now. 17 uh, seasons. Yeah. So you've got it – is, it's become – because it's a 24-7, 365-a-year gig, it is – a grind, and it is a young man's game. Isn't it funny? Brooks said, okay, the coaches in my childhood are gone. I started thinking about some of those coaches now mm-hmm. that are no longer coaching, but Nick Saban, Pete Carroll, Urban Meyer, mm-hmm. Jim Tressel. Mm-hmm. Think about what he did at Ohio State. Jimbo Fisher, gone after mm-hmm. what happened at Texas A&M. Coach O, gone. Hell, Bob Stoops, Steve Spurrier, Lloyd Carr, Les <laughs> Miles, Bill Snyder, David Shaw, I was thinking about him the other day. I wonder where he is. I mean, all these guys that uh, had been the face of their university or their organization, but really big names in football, college or pro, are no longer there. They're gone. It's it's a changing of the guard right now among coaches in both NCAA and the National Football League. It is. It's like how you associate when we talked about Tiger Woods moving on from Nike. It's like when you think of certain universities right now, you think of Nick Saban at Alabama, what they're able to build. It's a brand that has been built with those head coaches and their universities, and even same with NFL. And one of the problems that the NFL has now is, and they don't perceive it as a problem. For me, it's a problem because I grew up with coaches that had personality. And how many personalities do you have among coaches now? You have Tomlin. McVay comes up and screams into the microphone now and then, but he's he he isn't really must-see TV. How about, are, are you going to go with some college coaches too? Well, college is different because okay. those guys do run the show. But if we go back to... The, the mid-1980s when Ditka was there, and it, you know, it was the Bears, and he, great personality. Parcells was must-see TV when he was coaching the Giants, or whomever he was coaching. Jim Hannafin, you know, Steve Sable said Jim Hannafin was the best soundbite that they had on NFL <laughs> ever. He was fantastic. You had Joe Gibbs, who had his own quirky leadership personality. You had Buddy Ryan, who was a, a character. You had people all over the place that, uh, you know, Jerry Glanville. How about now with Sean Payton? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peyton is one of the guys. There's only one or two. Most of them are really paranoid, though, or don't say much. Belichick is a villain, and I mm-hmm. love villains in sports. you got to have them, and that's one of the things I look at with Bill Belichick. He is truly a villain. I mean, he you're either with him or you're <laughs> against him like Randy. Randy mm-hmm. loves to go against Bill Belichick because mm-hmm. he's a villain. I do like that he doesn't like analytics. Yeah, he's not much into those. No, uh-uh. no, he's he's old school. But the only reason that I don't I, I I don't dislike him as much as I dislike the narrative about him. It's people have built him up to be something that he isn't. Mm, I see what you're saying there. We're getting some texts in with people reacting to this from the six one eight. So, do we recycle these guys around the league, or will there be several first year head coaches next season? So, going to Bill Belichick and what you're talking about right there, does he retire or does he move on to another team? Belichick. Vrabel, Harbaugh will all be coaching in the NFL next year. You heard it here. And Belichick is 13 or 15 wins from the all-time wins list. Mm -hmm. And whether or not he has come out and publicly said it, there are those that cover that team, those that are insiders in the NFL that say it is important to him to get to that all-time wins record. So he he will coach, no doubt. Some of these guys, I just don't know if they have a life outside of football. It's 365, (laughs) it's 24-7, this is what they know, this is their identity as a human being. Yeah. Uh, to the point, though, recycled coaches, Ben Johnson's going to get a job, the offensive coordinator he is. in um, in Denver, or in, in Detroit, rather. I don't know that there's any other recyclable guys out there. I would think that the, probably three recycled guys and then the, the four at the moment, or no, five now, because you've had eight changes. I would think you'll see a, a Jared Mayo get an opportunity, if not with the Patriots and somewhere else. By the way, Dan Quinn, do you consider Because Dan Quinn will have a job, too. I think he goes to Seattle. He's had two different oh, stints there. Sense. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's half of them right there. So, yeah, we do recycle a little bit. I love watching uh, Dan Campbell. He's got some personality to he's me. He does. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the guys that when I watch or if I listen and see an interview with him, I get into it. I think because yes. he's a former player, he gets fired up. You know, some people say, well, he's kind of a meathead. Great. I'm, yeah, all, I'm no, all in. Fun. Yeah, yeah. And, he makes and it fun. And players love that. They Even love it. that whole yeah. Lions and Cowboys kerfuffle, as we discussed before, he was one more question away from destroying that podium. <laughs> yeah, and you love that. Really well, yeah. yeah, yeah. You love that fiery passion. It's not hard to see how he's been able to really turn things around with the Lions. We need a guy like that in the Super Bowl. That would be fun. I mean, you need personality. Personality is missing in sports. And we talked about it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Guys are so careful about what they say because it could be a soundbite or a moment that lives on forever. And you're, you're guarded. Interestingly, of the three people that we're talking about today, two of them we would never really confuse with having effusive personalities in Saban and Belichick. And then Pete Carroll might have been the best. Pete Carroll, you oh, know what was yeah. fun? We'll talk to Coach Venturi about this. Pete Carroll, every single day, would have competition in practice. Somewhere along the line, there was a way to get the players to compete. And at the core of the reason they're there is they love to compete. And that's one of the reasons the Seahawks were so good for such a long time is because inherently they were they were built to be competitive. As Saban continued to win... You never really heard anything of untowards behavior towards a player or Mm -hmm. cheating scandals, off-the-field issues, whatever. You just didn't hear it. And that, to me, is also part of his legacy. It's not only winning, but... It, by all accounts, it seems like he did things the right way. Well, yep. and that's why you feel comfortable talking about him as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yes, absolutely. Coming up, we're going to talk about two of these great coaches that our friend Rick Venturi worked with, both Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Coach is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Out of skills. 
great leaders, they stimulate belief without evidence. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. There ain't going to be no four pillars. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. In 1994, the Cleveland Browns coaching staff included head coach Bill Belichick, defensive coordinator Nick Saban, also on that staff, former St. Louis football Cardinals offensive coordinator and Colts head coach Rod Dalhauer, Kirk Ferentz, longtime head coach at Iowa, was their offensive line coach. Pat Hill, longtime head coach at Fresno State, was an assistant offensive line coach. And on the defensive staff, former Mizzou head coach Woody Widenhofer, Chuck, Bre- Chuck Bresnahan, longtime defensive coordinator. And of course, you heard the name already, and you heard the voice, our own, our coach, Rick Venturi, who's with us now on 101 ESPN. Coach, it is great to have you with us. Good morning. How you doing? Well, good friend. I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm struggling to recover from that debacle Sunday, I, Saturday. I totally expected us to be playing the Browns this Saturday at home, and I it just is a real killer to lose that way and one that you, I thought personally we were really going to get. But life goes on. you got to get over it and move forward. And, you know, as you know, one of the reasons I'm on today is this last 24 hours uh, in my world has just been surreal, to put it mildly. All right, Coach, i got to ask you about these losses because one of the reasons that people get out of coaching is because the, the losses are worse than the wins are good. What about as a broadcaster? Because we talk a lot and uh, we communicate a lot, and I, I know that you're emotionally invested. Do you kind of take these losses as a broadcaster like you did as a coach? Well, you know, I, I mean, I, I go home and have a good dinner and get a good okay, night's good. sleep, so that's a different, <laughs> but... I will t- I will tell you this, and, and you know me. You know me well, and you followed me lately. Um, I approach the games as a broadcaster every bit as hard and with every bit of film work, preparation, uh, creating blueprints for the win or loss. So, you know, when you get that heavily invested in a team and, you know, you're there, you're there for every day in training camp, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I have the same emotions. You know, I, I really do. I wish I didn't, but uh, they were they were kidding me on Saturday because, you know, they said, how you feel, Coach? I said, like I used to, I'm on DEFCON 1. So, <laughs> you know, so, so there you go. <laughs> well, Coach, as you mentioned, it has just been a wild week and especially a wild 24 hours with the news that Bill Belichick is moving on from the Patriots and that Nick Saban is retiring. You coached with both of them. Just your initial reaction to the news of that. Well, Brooke, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's shocking in some ways, in some ways it isn't. I mean, in the Patriot situation, um, you knew that there was a real strong possibility. I mean, we've all known that wasn't a secret. Um, and in, in my opinion, it's a little bit different because even though it's a 24-year break, uh, you know, with an iconic relationship, but uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he's going to keep coaching and is going to have his choice. Because in my mind, there's no question he's going to go after Shula. He's, I, I think that's the last thing in his life that he has to do. So, you know, so that's one thing. Uh, Nick and I, who have really bonded over the years, we have a great close relationship, our wives do. Um, I wasn't totally shocked, but it saddens me because he's everything – that college football should be, believe it or not, not just because he's a winner, but because of how he does it. Uh, and, you know, and, and I just felt a little bit, and Randy asked me this question, I felt a little bit different. I felt like that 
he was a little bit more at peace during the season than he normally is. So it wasn't shocking to me, but it saddened to me because, you know, I think it's a passing of, like I say, everything that I think is great in college football. What are the common denominators, having been on the sidelines and yeah. in private conversations <laughs> with these guys, what are the common denominators that you see with Saban and Belichick? Well, Dan, that's pretty interesting because there are some. I mean, I think in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, first of all, they looked at football as a way of life. And in that case, um, they, they were the same. Um, both of them, brilliant strategists, great technicians, both of them uh, superior detailists. In other words, when, when I say no stone is left unturned, no stone is left unturned. Um, and then I think the other quality is both of them will drive people to a level beyond what they think they can achieve. And that's, that's not always easy when you're in the middle of it, but they will, they will drive you beyond what you think you can get. Now, the interesting thing is there's a lot of differences in the two guys, believe it or not. They're very different in personality, number one. And if you can believe this, Dan, they're actually very different in how they would approach X's and O's like per game or per scheme. Now, we were able to merge that at Cleveland, and I was kind of the middle guy. I was kind of in between there. But they actually, you know, Bill is, as you see him, he's methodical. No day changes. You're uncomfortable 24 hours a day, (laughs) 365 days a year, because what you see – on that podium is not a hell of a lot different than when you see in there. And then Nick was much more volatile in those days, much more volatile. But, you know, he would get it off and then it was over, uh, you know, and then you could go out and have a beer together. I mean, and Bill looked at the game where I always said, and I, they both those guys in that one year, 94, they have shaped me forever in, in coaching and how I view the game today. But Bill was a pragmatist. Bill was a very brilliant guy. But he believed in we're going to take away this or we're not going to let you do this. And I'm, if I have to be extreme to do it, I'll do it. And we're going to have a very limited game plan. And we're just going to concentrate on those things. Where Nick is a little bit more of the mad scientist. You know, he had five calls for every situation. So, But when you put them together, the merging was phenomenal. And Belichick, correct me if I'm wrong, was kind of at the forefront of the NFL being as paranoid as it is right now because you talk about driving people, right, to coach to, to be to do what things they can't do, but he drove you coaches too. Oh, no, no, listen, there is nobody. I've heard Tom Brady comment, and I mean, no, when you got in that meeting room, I mean, there was no one, no one um, you know, immune to any of that, you know, and if you, he would call you out and, you know, as coaches, we just worked around the clock. I don't know how that's changed. Uh, I always kid them both. I always say I was with you guys before you were icons, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you. But Bill was a driver. I mean, we just we worked around the clock. Uh, I don't recall any offseason, Randy, to be honest with you. I took the job there after the combine, so it was late February. And I was in Cleveland for three weeks before I saw the light of day. I finally, <laughs> we finally had a Sunday off in the middle of March. And I remember taking my company car and driving downtown to see, you know, the new Jake Field at that time and the rock and roll. I, would, I, I had to see the town I was going to move to. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's so funny. Well, I wanted to ask you about going back to Nick Saban. It's also brought up a discussion of the state of college football right now. We played this yep. soundbite earlier from Mizzou head coach Eli Drinkwitz where he talked about we're going to continue to drive out great coaches unless we get our act together and get some sort of plan that is sustainable. The business model is not as good as it needs to be, and it has to improve. What are your thoughts on that? No, I, I think that's a huge point, and, I, and I'm sure that's a bit of a factor. I think Nick is a guy between he and Terry. Um, he also is a guy that has a little bit of a life, a little bit more than people think off the field. And so at 72 years old, maybe it was a natural deal. But I also think that a big factor in it is the chaos that now exists in college football. And I know Nick himself, you know, was old school. Um, you know, he hates the NIL. Uh, he hates the transfer portal, as I do. Um, you know, I mean, I guess there's a, a quality that you still love on Saturday afternoon, but the process to me now is chaotic, and I don't think it's worth a damn. And I think guys like Nick who really, you know, he just he just never loved it. I think that just wears you out. And if you have a choice, you say, I'm done with it. Coach, in the game of life, 72 is a young person. But in this day yep. and age, you know, when you talk about being a college coach, all those reasons you just gave, or in the NFL, as you know it intimately, is it sustainable at that age of 72? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it depends on who you are and what your situation is. Um, you know, I think, you know, Belichick, obviously, Dan, I, I think because of what's left for him, um, it, it probably is sustainable. You know, you know, I always thought, I never thought that Pete Carroll ever, ever, speaking of another guy, I never thought Pete Carroll ever lost the zest, you know, at 72 or whatever. So, you know, I, I take pride in the fact that at 77, I can still bang it around if I have to. But uh, I do think that the co- because of the way the college game has gone, I mean, I, I, I just I'm, I'm, I would be so to me, that would be so difficult to deal with that process on a 365 day basis. And that's what it's become. Uh, I think it probably is a little bit tougher. Rick Venturi with us for a couple more minutes here on 101 ESPN, and I want to get the final word on both of these guys. Number one, any doubt in your mind that Nick Saban is the best college football coach ever? Oh, none. Uh, absolutely none. I mean, you know, it's it's not just statistic. It's It's right there on tape for you. The other thing I say about him is not only has he been a great winner, but, you know, really, Randy, he's run a really class program. I mean, his kids graduate. They haven't had any big shadows on that program with all the success they've had, and that's unusual. Um, Unquestionably the best coach ever. Okay, and you know that I keep track of these numbers. Uh, Bill Belichick, with Tom Brady as his starting quarterback, 249 wins, 75 losses. Without Tom Brady as his starting quarterback, 83 and 100. So I'll ask the same question of Belichick. Is he the greatest pro football coach of all time? Well, I think he is from a championship standpoint. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now, I, as a kid, I never coached against him. I met him. Uh, I knelt at the art, at the altar of Coach Lombardi, and I think if he'd have stayed, I think he would have had equal amount of championships. You know, the trophies named after him for a reason. Uh, I do think the fact that he has struggled without Tom, and I, and I think it's the foreboding of what job he takes. 
Um, it's hard. It's hard to win in this league without a great quarterback. And I won't say that that taints him at all because I don't think it does. I think he he statistically is the best coach of all times. But uh, it, it it is a little bit. You know, you you do question it just a shade. And I want to come back to your Colts because that's the team that you're covering now. Uh, Minshew had a very good year, but what do you think of Anthony Richardson? Is he going to be fine? Well, Anthony Richardson has everything it takes to be a superstar. He has uh, tremendous tools, which we all know. Uh, Miss Jerry can go to the combine and see that. Uh, number two, he has great quarterback skills, better than I thought he does. He's a uh, he's a really he's got a great football IQ. Uh, he's a workaholic, and he's very well respected by his teammates, even as a fourth draft pick rookie. Uh, to me, the marriage of him and Steichen, who had Hurts in the beginning, who is flexible, is a perfect matchup. There's only two caveats that I would say in terms of Anthony, and one is short term, and that is I think you know there may be more growth than people here think. You know, there's not necessarily a linear uh, a linear uprise from 9 and 8 to where you go next. Every season is different, and I'm not sure there might not be some growth issues because he missed most of this season uh, going into next year. But the only real long-term issue I have, Randy, and it has a little bit to do with system and what's how the NFL has evolved – is I'm not sure that his style, uh, you know, and this NCAA influx onto the Sunday game, and his style is different. It's closest to Hurts. It's not really like Lamar. He runs almost like a fullback when he runs those zone reads. And th- my my concern there is sustainable health. And you know now the you know the Eagles have done a good job with Hurts. And you know, taught you know, taught him how to slide. T- tell him when to get down, when to get out. And I think we're going to have to really do the same thing because this kid, like I said, when he takes the ball, he runs strong. He runs more like a running back, you know, than where Lamar is so elusive. You can't get your hands on him in space. But I, I just think that particularly, it's the only thing that'll stop this kid is the health issue. Coach Venturi, it's always great to hear your voice here on 101 ESPN. This is where Coach Venturi got his broadcasting start, and uh, we love you, and thanks so much for the time on short notice. We appreciate it. Well, you were my mentor, man, so thank you very much. Coach, take care. We'll talk soon. Uh, That is Coach Rick Venturi joining us here on 101 ESPN, one of my all-time favorites. You're the mentor of a lot of folks, Randy, including myself, so nice to hear that. Well, thank you very much, sir. Coming up, okay, Coach gave you his ideas about Belichick. Where does Belichick land? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. ESPN reporting that Bill Belichick and the Patriots are expected to part ways after 24 seasons, and Bill Belichick got it in his agreement, reportedly, that he will be able to leave and the Patriots won't ask for any compensation in exchange for his services. So he can go where he wants. There are seven other openings in the NFL. Some of those he would be inclined to take. Some you would think perhaps not. So the question becomes, if... You're pre- to predict where Bill Belichick lands, 
what's the spot? Is he is he Hollywood? Is he Hollywood? Uh, he doesn't have the personality for Hollywood. If we were talking about personalities earlier, but then again, does that matter in some cases? To me, at first, when we were discussing this, I thought that the Chargers would make a lot of sense for him. One, you have a quarterback there, a franchise quarterback that he could already work around and start to build things. But then I found it interesting that reports started to emerge about Bill Belichick and the Raiders. That could be a possibility. They would have to pay then three coaches. Belichick would come at a hefty price. Mm-hmm. I could see it. He looks like the ultimate Raiders head coach. Yes, he? he does. Yeah, he looks like the ultimate villain. Darth Vader. Get him in with, uh, with uh, the the uh, the Raiders in Vegas. I, I look at San Diego. My first choice for Jim Harbaugh would be San Diego. The Chargers have Justin Herbert. He's under contract through 2029. He's gone through four coordinators in five years. Never seemed to be in sync with Kellen Moore. The Chargers, though, have to cut 35 million to become compliant with next year's cap. Mm-hmm. They have the fifth and the 37th overall pick, so it seems like with those picks and the way they they could deal with their cap situation, franchise QB would make some sense. Defensive-minded guy, get him in there, clean that thing up, and they could probably win right away. Now. Here's another possibility. Washington has the second pick in the draft, so they can get either Caleb Williams or Drake May. No Sam Howell for you? No. (laughs) Okay. No. All right. Uh, Josh Harris grew up as a fan of Belichick. They share an affinity for the Navy, where Belichick's father coached. Now, at 72, the question is, does he want to develop another young quarterback, or could he find somebody in free agency? Heck, he's he's developed one quarterback. He's drafted like 10 guys in the first and second and third and fourth round. But he's he's developed one of them to turn into a good quarterback. So he's going to have to get himself an offensive coordinator that's capable, somebody who can develop a quarterback, regardless of where he is. And even if he takes the, the Charger job, he's going to have to have somebody that's able to get the best out of um, Justin Herbert, because Herbert has not been great lately. Mm -hmm. And Dan, you mentioned this earlier. What about the Falcons? That seems another team that would be good for him. They need to find a quarterback. I mean, they went through Marcus Mariota. They've gone through Desmond Ritter, Taylor Heineke. Why they didn't make a run at Lamar Jackson is beyond me. They have the eighth overall pick. They also have $35 million in cap room. And I always look at like cap room mm-hmm. as a big factor, potentially, in turning it around quickly because you can get quickly and done in free agency and find the players that you want. Washington has $80 million surplus expected for free yeah. agency. So think about that. And they also have three of the top 40 picks coming up. I mean, that would be attractive for any head coach to look at that you could turn it around fairly quickly. And at the age of 72, you know, be honest, he's he's on limited time in terms of being a head football coach in the National Football League, I would think. And so you got to turn that thing around quickly, and that might be one of the places you could do it. Okay, let's look at some of the others. Tennessee, born in Nashville. Does he go to Tennessee? Uh, I, I don't know if I can see that exactly happening with him. No. The uh, former Nick Saban, protege, quarterback, Bryce Young, is the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. Does he go to Carolina? I, I no. would look at him and say, I bet he would say that when you look at Bryce Young, he's not my guy. Yeah. And now, it, it's unfair probably to say that because it's been just one year and maybe get him the right coordinator, the right situation, maybe switch the offense to benefit him properly like he was running at Alabama, but no. thing is, Nick, Nick Saban sold him on Mac Jones, too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's a problem. Uh, Seattle, probably not, right? No. no. Just doesn't make sense. Uh, so... Uh, uh, who am I missing here? Washington, 
That's it. That's it. You so, got Seattle, Atlanta, yeah, Vegas, yeah. Carolina, the Chargers, Tennessee, New yeah. England. I, I would think that the Chargers, and by the way, historically, they have not been willing to spend for coaches. Uh, the Chargers, if they're willing to spend, I would think would be number one. I think everybody, the reason that people like McDaniels and Gruden have gone to the Raiders is because they get complete control. And Belichick has had complete control. I would think that would be the place where he knows he can get unfettered complete control. I would not be surprised if it wound up being the Raiders. No. And then also there's a possibility of other job openings coming mm-hmm. up. Is there any teams that are entering the playoffs that you think could also be a possibility of having a job opening? Because then that will also further the discussion of where he could land. Mentioned it earlier. It's new era potentially. Well, with Pete Carroll going away, it's it's a new era in Bill Belichick. But you've also got Mike Tomlin, Andy Reid, and their futures mm-hmm. have been discussed. That you know what, maybe it's it's time for a, a switch with them because they want to move on. And I don't think that Jeffrey Lurie would want to give up the power that he'd have to give up in Philadelphia. But apparently, Nick Sirianni, if he loses in the mm-hmm. first round of the playoffs, could be on the hot seat too. Do you guys buy the fact that he said Bill Belichick said I can walk away from player personnel and just coach? I, I, I can't. No I, no, I don't either. What about Dallas if Mike McCarthy goes out this weekend? After the Parcells experience where he had power, Jerry Jones doesn't want to give that up again. So I'm not saying give it up, but go oh, coach. I could see him. No, nah, I really can't. No, I, uh, Jerry's too patient and doesn't he doesn't want to pay multiple coaches at once. Yeah, he so, held on to Jason Garrett a long time. Yeah, so I would think that McCarthy will be there. So I, I'm, I'm thinking... Chargers one if they're willing to pay Raiders two. Those are the two that I'm going with for Belichick. I'm and, going Chargers Washington. Yeah, I I feel like the Falcons still could be maybe a possibility, but I think Chargers and Washington makes a lot of sense too. And we're getting some texts in one from the three one four where people are talking about the Bills being a possibility. Do they move on from Sean McDermott? Uh, Buffalo would never accept a Bill Belichick. They, they <laughs> yeah. might still move on from Sean McDermott, but they'll yeah. never accept a Bill Belichick there. Coming up, we're going to talk to Gary Pinkle. He is a close friend of Nick Saban. They were in school together, coached together, and the former Mizzou coach joins us next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Yeah, greatest college football coach of all time, a guy that understood uh, organization and development, a a coach who did it the right way. There's not enough positive words to say about Coach Saban. That is current Mizzou head football coach Eli Drinkwitz yesterday upon word that Nick Saban had retired from the University of Alabama and in doing radio for 40 years, one of my all-time favorites in the state of Missouri is former Mizzou coach Gary Pinkle, who joins us on the Celebrity Line, has a long history with Nick Saban, and is kind enough to join us on this morning after Coach retired. Coach Pinkle, great to have you with us. Brooke Grimsley, Dan McLaughlin, Randy Carricker, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. You know, uh, Nick and I played college football together, and I've uh, been associated with him for a long, 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 long time, and... Uh, what a remarkable influence uh, he had on the uh, college football. Are you going to get some texts today? How do I handle this retirement thing? <laughs> yeah, I better get some bonuses, man. I, I tried to turn that in, but I, I don't think he 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 would agree with that. I don't think he would be excited about that. <laughs> well, as you mentioned, you've known Nick Saban for a long time, and we've talked about him being one of the greatest college football coaches ever. What did you see in Nick Saban, at a, even as a young coach, that showed you that his potential and how great he could be as a coach? Well, Nick, you know, he'll, he'll say he got a lot from Don James. You know, he worked for Bill Belichick, he worked for different people. But Coach James certainly had 
huge influence on him as he did for me. We were graduate assistants together uh, at Kent State, and uh, you know, we're, I remember sitting at the library watching the freshmen. But we were our job responsibility to do it. He looked at me, we looked at each other, and said, "We really want to get in coaching." You know, I just I'll never forget that. You know, as things turned out later on, and you know, we just you know just we we such a good, good influence with Coach James as I think he said, "Just let's let's I'm gonna give it a try." You know, and I knew I was gonna do that for sure, but. <laughs> His dad wanted him to go back and, and make sure he took care of a car business and stuff like that. So, anyway, bottom line, he made a pretty good decision. And what, what remarkable influence he's had on every aspect of the game. And, and one of the greatest things about coaching is you know, you're, you're, you're always coach, you know. He not, might not be the head football coach here anymore, but the, great, the greatest things is you're always coach. And you're still all coach, coach to all those players that you, that you were part of for the, all your years of, of working. Coach Pinkle, were you surprised at all at the news that this uh, transpired last night? No, I wasn't really. I thought it was going to happen sooner or later. Uh, you know, he's going on on top, too. You know, look what happened yesterday in all of football. Everybody's getting fired left and right. And, uh, you know, I, he, he did it his way, his whole, in, in the right way. And, you know, also he just had huge influence on players. I mean, obviously you've got to win to keep your job to, to be able to do that. He he did that at that level, but he also daily did the things to make those guys better young men, be more accountable, more responsible. You know, all the different things that you hear, and it sounds good, but that's what he did. And uh, uh, he's changed a lot, a lot of lives. Gary, one of the things that you did throughout your head coaching career is make your assistant coaches better and prepare them as well. And obviously, when you look at the impact that Nick Saban had, there was one point where half of the SEC head coaches were former Nick Saban assistants. What was it, and maybe this came from Don James too, that he did to make assistant coaches so successful? Well, I think one thing in our business is when you move on, you've got to become a head coach. I became a head coach at Toledo, my first job. I have to decide what I'm going to do. There's a zillion things and a zillion ways of op- running op- uh, a football program. And you have to decide, you know, do people do different things different ways. But I think, you know, and I can't talk for Nick exactly, but it's, it, it, it's probably a little bit like this, that he knew operationally how he was going to run the football program right when he became a head coach. He knew what he was going to do. He pulled some things in from other people, a few things here, but the base foundation uh, of of how you how you train players, how you you know earn respect, how you make them better people, all those other things is in bottom line how he went that direction, and he knew he was going to go that direction uh, to build his program. And obviously, I mean it's 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 remor- uh, remarkably uh, successful. And again, I keep telling telling everybody that one of the great things he, we have when we do, and he does the best of it. He has huge influence on players and coaches, and uh, certainly try to get other coaches opportunities also. Gary Pinkle with us on 101 ESPN. You had the chance to coach against him specifically once you made, once Mizzou made the move to the SEC. What was it like for you and your staff to prepare for a game against Alabama coached by Nick Saban? Well, I was real mad at him, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to talk about that. So are you kidding me? <laughs> you got to bring that up. Well, you know, it's, it, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, Mal side. Uh, you know, just just a, just a very well coached team. I mean, that's that's what he that's what he did. Ever was. I took over. He was at Toledo. He he ended up giving me an opportunity to get that job. I got it. And he set an example right there when he was right before I showed up, and I was I ended up being there for a few years. So um, just his influence and and and, and making 
people better, coaches better, players better, and a guy you could also count on as a, as a, as a, from the standpoint of communication that you know what you hear from him is the truth, and he cares so much about everybody. And Gary, one, one more thing from me, and this is in regards to what happens on the field. I thought that, uh, I think, Nick Saban's idea about games and plays is so salient because so often I'll read, well, this team did this three weeks ago, and, and that's what this team is. People try to define, uh, and you always talked about being remembered for November. People try to define a football team for different parts of a season. And one thing Nick said was every single play takes on a life of its own. And I try <laughs> to look at football that way because it really does, right? And, you know, every play, and that's the beauty of it, you know, you you have to run your organization, how you treat players, how you train players, how you do that with your staff, you know, the offense, defense, there's things that you want to do and, and, and all those things. And you have a zillion decisions to make, but there's all there's all method to the madness and how you do all those things. And he was he was the best, the best of all. And I'm, and I'm so uh, very proud of him. And uh, but he the best college football coach that uh, there ever was. And I don't know if anybody will ever get close again to even come close to breaking um, all those uh, things that he did so well. I 100% agree with you. Why do you think that now was the right time for Nick Saban to retire? Does it have anything to do with the state of college football or was this just the right time for him? Well, first of all, he's older than me. I want to make a very clear point that he's older than me. Thank uh, you. I, I don't know that. I, I thought about that. Interesting. I thought about that last night when I when I heard about this and got some texts from some other coaches and players. Uh, I, I don't know. I think he's going to be probably very outspoken on you know to, to be able to hopefully as we go as they're going through all this stuff that they might have so he might have some influ- a huge influence on getting things maybe back with a little bit more order and. Uh, it's just kind of crazy now. And was that a re- big reason why he uh, left this year? I, he would only answer that. I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't know. But that's all. That stuff's got to get addressed. You know, we 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 you know we we got college football hanging here a little bit, and we just got to make sure that uh, we're doing the right things. Number one for kids, and then uh, number two for the fans that they can uh, appreciate uh, how we do things. From afar, coach, it looked like he was enjoying the ride a little bit more this year. Did did you feel that way too? No, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's you know, he's got grumpy face a lot, like those games. You know, <laughs> so not that I was never called grumpy face either. So, but uh, no, I, I don't know. I think it's just probably him and Terry. You know, there's a time you're going to have to go. He's in he's in great physical shape, condition too, and everything. That's that's good. You know, so he's he can he, he can go on. He can do a lot of things. He'll probably have his own radio, TV shows before you know it. Uh, he'll be able to probably much do what he wants to do. But you know what? He still gets back to this guy when he walks away. He's called coach. And the biggest, most rewarding thing, obviously you got to win high to win your, and nobody's winning as he has. But the greatest thing about our profession is the relationship I have with my players. And I get texts and emails from my players all the time. And, and I know that um, he's had that remarkable influence on all his players also. And so, you know, he's going out the right way with probably a lot of great opportunities. Gary, how much fun did you have watching this Mizzou season? Coach Drink and you know, and all all they did and their staff and, and all those things. And uh, I was just really, really pleased. It was uh, just an incredible year. And, uh, you know, he's – that whole team did uh, – it was just really fun to watch him get better and better and better and gain confidence. And, hey, ended up top ten in the nation, man. That's 
that's pretty good stuff. Pretty darn good. You did that as well. And in retirement, you've got the GP Made Foundation. How's everything going with the foundation? It's going good. You know, we're doing a lot of different things. It gives me, you know, and I, you know, a few years ago right after I retired, and I, you know, I, my wife looked at me one day, and you okay? And I said, I miss my players, and, and you know, I miss my players. Are you kidding me? Those guys, they drove me nuts. But at the end of the day, that's what I did. And that's as, as I'm reflecting a little bit, what I just said about Nick. You know, you still have players, so people you, that you that, you, that you're going to try to help and be a part of their lives and have influence. And uh, I think that's kind of the direction, you know, that we want to go. And that's when I, she said to me, she says, my wife looked at me and said, why don't you get a foundation? So we got it. It's doing really well, raising a lot of money. It's, it's, it's all that we have three pillars that affects kids. And because I, that's what I missed. I missed helping my players. That's the, that's the, as a, you know, you don't get paid for that. But at the end of the day, that's your biggest responsibility. Well, you'll always be a coach just like Nick Saban, and you're impacting lives just like Nick Saban has and will. And we really appreciate you here. Thanks for taking the time, Gary. Good to hear your voice, and we'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Take care. Gary Pinkle, former Mizzou head coach with us on 101 ESPN. And I, I don't know if I said this on the air or off. I think I said this to Dan off the air. That my opinion is, is that if – Gary Pinkle would have been hired from Toledo to go to Alabama. He would have done what Nick Saban did there. And if Nick Saban would have been pursued by Mizzou out of the Miami Dolphins and landed at Mizzou, he would have done at Mizzou what Gary Pinkle did. I think they're that similar. I think Mm -hmm. they both maxed out their programs at their specific times. And I, I just think the world of Gary Pinkle as a man and as a coach. Yeah, and when he took over the program at Missouri, man, was it bad. It was bad. And for him to turn that thing around and get the kids to go to Mizzou and get the kids that stayed in state and then get down to Texas and advance that to get some really good players, that was impressive. And I think Drink has done that, too. He's keeping Mm -hmm. kids in state. And when he needs to go outside the state, he does. Um I always look at Drink now is that he's embracing the transfer portal, NIL, and the craziness of college football and is taking advantage of it. I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but it seems like he really, really embraces it. I agree. He's been able to really utilize the transfer portal well and take advantage of NIL. I mean, everything that they've been able to do with that has been so impressive. And I know that we had the comments earlier from him where he was talking about the nature of the business model changing with college football and getting it back on track. I do think that this Nick Saban retirement is going to open up a bigger discussion for that because nobody's saying that college football is bad. We all enjoy watching it. It's just that this is not possibly a sustainable business model. No, all the coaches are saying we need to fix this. And if the coaches are saying that, then it needs to be fixed because coaches, they're pretty malleable in terms of, okay, I'll I'll live with that rule. I'll live with this rule. But this is almost an impossible rule to live with, the the combination of the portal and NIL. And I don't think NIL is as much of a factor as the portal and the timing of the portal. Yeah, I mean, the timing is, I thought Lane Kiffin put it best. He said, when you're watching the NFL playoffs, could you imagine free agents starting in the middle of the playoffs <laughs> yeah. of the National Football League and guys are jumping and saying, well, I'm gone. Good luck in uh, fa- you know, facing the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend because, I don't know, five, six, seven, ten, ten guys decided mm-hmm. to jump. And that's what the, the problem with the bowl season was. But I, I, you know, I think the portal is the issue right now and the timing of it. I don't necessarily disagree with the portal. Because if a coach can jump, why can't the player? But it's just the timing of it seems to be very suspect. Agreed 100%. Coming up, we're going to give away some Billy Joel Sting tickets, and we're going to uh, play rock and roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
Let's rock. Let's rock today. Stuff. 101 ESPN is your chance to score a pair of tickets to Billy Joel and Sting for one night only on Friday, September 27th at Bush Stadium. Find all the ticket details and a bonus chance to <laughs> register to win tickets to Billy Joel and a Sting at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. Tickets go on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m., but you can win free tickets right now by texting the Air Comfort Service text line. 314-399-9646. That's 314-399-YO-HO. And answer this question. You were delightful in how you delivered that. <laughs> Thank you, Delightful. Man. This is beautiful. Thank you. I'm beautiful trying to delivery. smile and be nice. Decided to make this one about Mr. Nick Saban. Okay. We talk a lot about his Alabama National Championships, but as you know, he also won one with LSU. Mm-hmm. Who did they beat in the BCS National Championship game that year? Oh, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. And what number? Yeah, going to be the winner. I'm going to go with texture number 17 on this game. 17. Texture number 17. Okay, good. Uh, Matthew, what do we have on the rock and roll? Brooke keeps making me put like actual numbers out there and not like just make 17. arbitrary decisions. Like I like that person's well, response. Somebody that, it's has them. to know. Yeah. Why do they have to know? They have to pick. Why can't, well, somebody somebody be, has to pick. Why can't it just be completely up in the air? I pick yeah. it, Brooke. Was, was there a quarterback just Zach making random decisions? then or was that? Uh, oh, no, that was, was not. No, that was 2003. It would have been. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. No, yeah, the so it was right well right before there. Jamarcus. Oh, it was Flynn? No, no, no. Okay. Matt Flynn was like 09 or something like that. Get on the mic there. Three. I can't I hear can't you, Matthew. I can't, I can't look at the computer both. and okay. talk okay. on the mic. <laughs> they didn't build either. it. It's like I, I got to be here, but then I can't reach the gotta mic here, on my computer. Can't be there. So I can't get all the way over there? Sorry, I asked We'll give you several mics. How about that? So I am I just have my... Ryan Paralu, Ryan Paralu wound up at uh, LSU because Chase Daniel, uh, actually no, when Paralu left, he committed to Texas, decommitted to Texas, committed to LSU, and then Texas called up Chase Daniel and said, hey, you want to come here? And he said, no, I'm going to Mizzou. I wouldn't have guessed this in a million years. Matt Mock? Matty Mock. Not our Matty Mock. No, but yeah, what a different guy that wound up in the Malik? NFL. Yeah, he, Malik or something Malik, like that? that I don't Malik, know how to yeah, say he, wound up, he played in the NFL a little bit. Uh, seventh round draft pick by the Denver Broncos. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay, um, so uh, now we can do. Yes, uh, college, sorry about that. college football was freaking out yesterday, and one of my favorite things that came out of that was the report that you guys might have seen was there was an anchor in the Oregon area who said, "I grew I, my first ever broadcasting job was in Alabama, and I have a source that tells me that Dan Lanning is in Tuscaloosa." This obviously caused a big reaction from Oregon fans who went to Twitter to start a Spaces. Now, Spaces, if you don't know, it is a thing where you can jump on Twitter and create this little radio show right there on Twitter, and anyone can join. Well, the Oregon fans were having their Spaces, and things were getting a little bit testy, and a a not-Oregon fan jumped into the Spaces and decided to let people know this is, in the middle of this clip, you'll hear UW ride receiver Roma Dunzi jump into the Oregon Spaces. All right, brother. We're tired of you catching passes, bro. It's time for you to go, bro. I ain't gonna even Rome jumps into the Oregon fans and say, listen, if you guys don't start acting a little bit nice, I might just come back this year and do it to you again. He has uh, he has uh, committed to the NFL draft, but I just I like college football's 
players having more personality. As much as I love the the history of guys like Pete Carroll and Saban that you know that that, that ran their program extremely well, I kind of like it when college players get a little bit out there and, and, and have the personality of being a 19 or 20 year old kid. And Adunzi is is an incredible player. He's been a blast to watch, and he absolutely murdered Oregon every time he touched the field against them. Mm-hmm. So I like him just messing with the Oregon fans. In the day and age of NIL, you should take advantage of having your personality and putting it out there if you're a player. And I know Mm -hmm. that we've talked about that where you do worry about maybe things being taken out of context, but then you also have a chance to create your own narrative and control the narrative too by just having some fun. I mean, I'm sure that helps with a lot of NIL deals. Control your brand. Exactly. It's easy to do and control the narrative. Yeah. And have fun. Make it fun. Yeah. I love seeing Brady Cook and all the stuff that he's done with NIL. Luther Burden, you see him on commercials. I feel like Luther Burden's personality has grown so much and he's gotten more comfortable with media. Okay, so if we're going to make a choice on who is the Alabama next football coach, who are you going with? I'm going Dan Lanning. My, Dan Lanning mm. now makes a lot of sense just because there's so many reports about it. But I, my first initial reaction was Lane Kiffin. I actually thought of that too. No, it make used to coach for him. Lane train. Also, yeah, Lane Come train. Didn't didn't wasn't there a whole? Didn't they have a whole thing at the end of that one season where Kevin had been there the entire year, but he wasn't with them for the national for the playoff yeah, game. Yeah, but that was so that because he, he was leaving. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. a Saban thing. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm gonna go with Dabo. Dabo makes sense, but to your point earlier. He better get on board with the transfer portal yeah. and yes. NIL. Right. And if he doesn't, then he wouldn't be the right guy for the job. Are you concerned about drink? Um, I actually thought about that one, too. We got a lot of texts. Got a lot of texts saying, oh. Eli, to, to Bama. I'm not worried. I think that. I think if this was two years from now, I'd be terrified. Yeah, one winning mm-hmm. year is probably pretty hard to sell to Alabama. But the way he recruits mm-hmm. and as yes. active as he is in the transfer portal yep. and he's an SEC it. guy. Yep. SEC guy. I, I don't think it would happen, but it would be on my list of maybe 10 guys I'd look at. You mm-hmm. know who's out there who's won a national championship and has SEC and Alabama ties? Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher. Fisher. Yeah. That that situation though in Texas A and M was a mess. Oh, it's always a mess. I mean, it was a mess. So what he bad. was doing offensively, what was happening with his recruiting, the fact that he had upheaval with his coaching staff, it was a mess. I got it. No one's gonna be happy with who this pick is. So mm-hmm. why not just make it Urban Meyer? I love the idea. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> just give yep. him two years. Everyone will hate him anyway. It doesn't matter if he wins 10 games, 13 games, or seven games. He'll be out after two years because it's just, you're not going to want to keep rolling with him. And then you bring in the new guy. It's Everything's kind of cleaned away from Saban, and you get a new guy with a Wouldn't that be something? sparkly new shiny program. Just Urban Meyer. Get the ground running. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. Okay, one other guy that I got to check here. I, I, I want to see if we need to RIP him. I re- oh, no. Oh, I no. really, oh, I nope. really. Not dead. Who are you looking up? Oh, but old. Uh, Mike Price, one time named the head coach from Washington <laughs> yes. State at the University of Alabama. Oh, my God. Went to a strip club, was seen there, and Alabama said, we can't have a coach that's been to a strip club. And they fired him before he ever coached a game. How long wow. was uh, David Shula there? Five. Yeah, it was he, up, he got five pretty, years? Yeah. So Petrino's not going to... Make a Bobby run? Petrino. Oh, he's busy not in Arkansas. <laughs> Bobby's Why always not? busy is what I learned. Yeah. 
All right. There you go. That's that's it. What a big day. Belichick Oat in New England, and they're looking for a new head coach, Nick Saban, and also Pete Carroll yesterday. By the way, we got a bunch of texts. We're like, why wouldn't Belichick just retire? And I, I think they just need, again, 15 wins from beating Shula. Why would he, why would he retire? Yeah, except all the wins that are going to be vacated. Uh, <laughs> they do that in the vacated. NFL? Yeah, they should. Yeah. They, they, they should. <laughs> Uh, if you want to hear our interviews with Greg Amzinger or with Rick Venturi or with Gary Pinkle, you can. Just go to the 101 ESPN app or 101ESPN.com and use uh, the podcasts there. Brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. And don't forget, we've got a balloon party coming up with T-Mac and Ajax. And then after that, we've got BK and Ferrario until 2 and then the fast lane. Great job today by our producer, audio-video engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio, who's wearing a Cronky Sucks t-shirt. Proud of you, brother. Pleasure. Yep, good, good. Uh, Brooke, did you have fun today? Yes. Watch your face. We want to see your face. Who said that? You want to see my face? Danny Mack. Always have fun. Danny, was I nice enough in the final segment? I was worried about you (laughs) at the beginning of the show because of the Belichick dislike that you have. Uh And I thought, uh oh, he's going to have an edge to him. And I thought you were great as always. Thank you. As you were always. great as yeah. always. I think Coach helped. Round, I think Coach Venturi helped round off the edge a little bit with, yeah. with some positive Belichick thoughts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great Friday Eve, everyone. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.